0: Yo, yo, yo! What's going on, man? This is Drizzy Drake.
1: Hey, 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 hey guys! I'm Iggy Azalea.
0: Yo, what's up? Is the Kid 56? Stick around for more conversations with Allison J. The journey to here brought to you by Ethel May Books. This is Conversations with Allison J. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Conversations with Allison J. The Journey to Hear. Today, as always, we have another captivating and thought provoking topic and guest. Here's your host, Allison J. Hello, and welcome to
1: another episode of Conversations with Allison J. The Journey to Hear. I'm your host, Alison Jay. Today, I'm delighted to welcome our guest, Andrew Morris. We're going to be talking with Andrew on the topic of From Prison to Politics, the journey through IPPs and the British prison system. Many people have never heard of IPPs. I know I definitely didn't. IPP stands for Imprisonment for Public Protection. Now, IPPs, the act was written in 2003, it was enforced in 2005, and it was finally abolished in 2012. But here's the thing with IPPs. With an IPP, you don't have to be incarcerated because you've actually committed a crime. You can be incarcerated under the IPP Act because you are suspected of committing a crime and you could potentially be incarcerated for life just on the suspicion that you may have committed a crime. So we're talking to Andrew today about that, his journey through the prison system to now being a person that has helped found a political party and he is the trustee of a charitable organization the political party that he helped to find with his um, to, with his friend charles is called the taken in the initiative party so today i'm delighted to welcome our guest andrew morris andrew welcome to conversations with alison J. thank you so much for joining me andrew um First of all, I want to thank you for agreeing to join me.
2: Yeah, no, thanks for inviting me. Really, really quite happy.
1: Because since speaking to you, because to be honest, I must be very honest with you. I was very ignorant about um, IPPs, but like completely ignorant. I didn't even know what it was. Never even heard of it until you mentioned it.
2: Do you know what? I think that most people are and they can be forgiven for that because... I mean, the reality in this country, so in the UK, there are probably no more than 100,000, probably just under 100,000 people locked up at any one time. So, you know, in the mass of that, I mean, that's kind of less than 1% of the population. Um, so uh, if you look at IPPs, I think at its peak, there were probably about 12 or so thousand IPPs, which is it's a small amount, but for what it represented, you know, kind of almost being locked up without a release date, which is tantamount, I think, to, um, I don't know if you remember, you know, in, in Northern mm-hmm. Ireland, they had a thing called internment where they just, just locked people up uh, without release date, without trial, um, you know, with no kind of end in sight. Um, some people might think that's a bit extreme, but that's how it felt to me. You know, it kind of felt like there was no, no end in sight. So, um, uh, you know, I don't blame people. I mean, very often I have conversations with people and they've never, Heard of IPP and then sometimes you know in recent times there have been documentaries about IPPs so people have heard about it um, but yeah no, I mean there's no no shame in not knowing what an IPP is
3: really.
1: But the thing is even that the because I think you know what it is as well there's a lot of times that if something doesn't directly affect you you a lot of us are just like completely ignorant to it because I know I definitely was because I'm looking at it thinking hoping and praying that at no point in my life, will I be at the other side of anybody's justice system.
2: (laughs) Do you know what, and it's funny, because just as you said that, um, and I, you know, yeah, I I hope that as well. Um, But I remember there was a case, excuse me, with a member of parliament, who voted for particular changes in legal aid. Um, And then, he, I forget his name now, but uh, at the other side of this legal aid um, vote that he took part in, he found that he was now affected in a way that he didn't anticipate. <coughs> and what happened to him, this MP, he was quite a well-known MP, I think he was Deputy Speaker of the House of, of Commons for a while, and he was accused of a sexual uh, offence. And as a result of having the amount of money that he had, couldn't benefit from legal aid and ended up spending all this money trying to defend himself for something that he says and maintain that he was innocent of so you know this is the way things go you know you don't really feel something until you're you know you've been affected by it and I remember years ago campaigning around um deaths in 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 custody and that kind of thing I remember giving somebody a flyer I was about 17 years of age at the time I gave this guy a flyer and he looked at it Uh, and gave me the flyer back. And um, he said to me, no, I thought it was for a dance or something, and I said, well, let's hope that no one, you know, that you know, is ever affected by something like this, and he gave me this look. And then, you know what? He took the leaflet back. Yeah. Um, And this is the thing, is and the funny thing is, is not funny, but I've never, by the grace of God, been directly affected in it. So, while I've known people um, you know that have been friends of the family or friends of friends who've been, um, you know, they've lost their lives in custody. I've never uh, been directly affected mm. in that regard, but I still choose to get involved where I can um, because I think that in, you know any death is one too too many. Um, I think the figures are slightly wrong, but I remember reading recently that um, over a hundred people of colour uh, since 1990 have died in custody or following contact with, with with you know with police um, I think it's a lot higher than that actually um, I think those figures are slightly modest um, but you know that was one of the things that I was really um, for some reason drawn to I had a really keen sense of duty to um, calling out injustice and, and trying to fight it wherever I, I could
3: um,
2: and that hasn't changed I don't think I think that I just choose to Slightly do things slightly differently.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Because thinking about it and going back to the point you made about the young man when you were handing out the flyer, it's, Hmm. in one respect, you know, you can't really blame him because it's one of those things. Sometimes when you're out and about, you're going about your daily business, you're completely in a, you're just, your mind's away focused on what you are set out to do. And then, you know, and, and so you see something and you don't mean to be insensitive insensitive to a subject or even ignorant to a subject but it's one of those things where you look at it and you just you know you're just not expecting somebody to give you something so deep and meaningful
3: Mm.
1: i mean personally i don't think i would have said oh i thought it was for a dance (laughs) though do
2: you know it's funny because <clears throat> that was, I mean, that's going back a long time. That's going back over 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the equivalent of that today is probably WhatsApp or, you know, Facebook or what, you know, whatever these apps are, because a lot of people get, I mean, I, I know I get lots of stuff. People send me lots of stuff and I've got to be honest, probably about 90% or more of it. I don't look at because I just don't have the time um and if it's not specifically from somebody i know or a source or you know somebody that i think oh okay i'm going to look at this because they sent it to me for a reason then i can't look at it because otherwise i'm just going to wash my brain in stuff that probably is either irrelevant or isn't particularly of interest to me so in that sense i get it mm. um but yeah i think that those apps are the equivalent of you know the flyer in the hands
1: 20 years ago <laughs> in that day yeah Give me one second. I just need to switch my heat enough. I can hear it. I don't want it to pick up on the recording. But um, to your point, (laughs) it's it's interesting. Because thinking about the WhatsApp messages and so on, it's, I think, because so many people now have, and I'm going to use this, not wanting to sound controversial, but possibly going to, they choose to live in such ignorance. Because the amount of things that I've seen sent to me on WhatsApp and some of these platforms, I think that's the reason why I don't pay attention to probably about 95% of it. Because Mm. when you look at it, you think, do you people not like fact check or research? Do you just Mm. blindly forward things? And I think that has, because back in the day of flyers, you don't, you you didn't really have that many people handing out flyers unless it was for something important. For example, unless it was church people, <laughs> or yeah. or politics, or or, or, or dance. So back at about twenty years ago, those really were the three like main groups of people that would hand out a flyer, right?
3: Mm, that's true. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so. So, so you weren't as bombarded with things, Mm -hmm. so you could, if it was for a dance, you know that there was always a dance going on. If it was for a church, you know that there's so many different denominations of churches around the place. And you know, there's political parties and people campaigning, but now the way that misinformation is flying Mm -hmm. about the place and there's some WhatsApp um, messages and things. And Mm -hmm. I know this is going to sound very terrible. But sometimes mm-hmm. depending on who's sending it to me depends on me just kind of thinking, am I going to open it? Am I not going to open it? Can it wait like six or seven days before I get to it? Because chances are it's going to be something that they saw, something that they forwarded that mm-hmm. and a prime example, especially since COVID has started all the cures for um, I saw this one where they were talking about the pH level of COVID and they saying, right. And then they were saying that, um, covid is like a 8.5 so anything that you eat that is above that you're safe and then Mm. they put something like and then they put like the best foods to eat and Mm. i saw up there at a nine point something was lemons and i'm thinking hold on a second now i know i left school a good 30 years ago really yeah i know right And however, I remember the pH balance and scale. And I remember it wasn't that high.
2: That's seven somewhere, wasn't it? Seven.
1: It goes up to 14. Oh, right. Yes. Seven is the middle. Yeah. And then I'm thinking, but my basic recollection of it, because I'm not a scientist, was that the lower the number, the more acidic the food. Yeah. If it goes up to fourteen, how in the world is lemons a nine? And then it had something like avocados were um twenty two, and I said to her, I I remember I replied to say a lot of you people are going to die of food poisoning before you die of COVID because how in the world is a lemon and nine and you've got things that register twenty two when the pH scale only goes up to fourteen. Mm. You people. And I got that from several people, and it's it started off with a precursor of yeah. This was sent to me by a nurse. So I says, well, I don't want that nurse treating me or whatever hospital she's <laughs> working at. That. Please tell me because I'm not going there mm. because if she doesn't know that the pH scale only goes up to fourteen, and somebody hired her in no her problem. ignorance, I don't want to go there. Thank you though. Mm. And I say that, and I'm you know making light of it, but it's a lot of stuff like that that. Mm. There's a lot of things that just bombard you. And I just stop to think, so you know something? I'm in so many email, um, not email groups, and WhatsApp groups and social media groups. Yeah. And, it, and no matter how much you say to people, please check the information before you send it. Because the chances are you may send one thing that is absolutely factual, but because of the 99 other things that you sent that are useless and makes no sense, I'm, I'm gonna. I may now have a hard time paying attention to that one thing that you sent me.
2: Yeah. Do you know? I, I've just become a little bit more cutthroat um, because um, there was a uh, there's a guy called John Jay. I think he's like a, a kind of a pastor or something or other. And one of the sayings he had was, um, "Say what you mean, mean what you say, but don't say it me." And for me. There's no harm in, you know, kind of not looking at 95% of the stuff you get. uh, And there's no harm in kind of saying, you know what, no. Because there are some people that get really emotional that you haven't looked at something immediately that they send it. But guess what? Life has to go on, you know. Bills have to be paid. Work has to be done. And the time isn't always there to do what people want you to do at that moment.
3: Mm.
2: You know, I can't apologize for that. It's just life. Um, you know, one of my friends, um, Jackie. She, you know, she um, has um, uh, kind of a, an involvement in um, addiction psychology and this kind of stuff. And one of the things that she says is that, you know, generally speaking, we are automatons. That's, you know, that's what we do. We blindly kind of follow stuff. And I don't want to do that stuff anymore. Mm. I want to be. I don't want to be an individual just for the sake of being an individual. But what I don't want is people dictating to me when I read, you know, stuff that they send because. We've seen and we're continuing to see that social media can be a real um, depressing place. It can be a real, uh, it can have a huge effect on people's mental health. And sometimes you've got to take a break from it. I had a period where I was ill not too long ago. Um, I don't know what it was, whether it was COVID or what. All I know is I'm better now. But I was kind of, in a way, in a good place because I was sick. I, I laid on my settee watching TV, you know, boring TV for about a week and i didn't interact in social media at all because Mm. i was just so um i was devoid of, of of anything resembling um care for what was happening in the social media world uh which isn't a bad thing because it can be really draining it can be incredibly draining maintaining those i mean relationships maintaining relationships are difficult enough so you know if you equate that to um, you know, all the WhatsApp groups and these groups and Facebook and all, all the various things that you get. It's like maintaining a number of relationships simultaneously. And that's really draining.
1: Yeah, it it is. I know how you feel. Because I remember, um, I was really busy at work doing some things. And by the time I picked up my phone, I you know, it can tell you that you have x amount of messages from x amount of either groups or people
3: Mm.
1: and I looked at it and it was over 100 and you know I actually felt very overwhelmed at the thought of having to look at that I really felt very overwhelmed and I know some people might like roll their eyes and whatever but I thought I I didn't know how many of them needed a response from me I didn't know but I just thought to myself I have, do I have to read all of this? What is the information going to be? I don't really have the time to reply because I'm just really busy, caught up and I must admit just, and that was. I
2: missed missed a lot of that because my phone started to ring. So we might have to kind of stop and go back because my internet connection went a bit funny. Sorry.
3: No, that's
1: okay. No, No, I was just saying how overwhelmed I was when I picked up my phone after a very busy day at work. And, um, I saw that I had over a hundred messages from something like 30 chats or something like that. And mm-hmm. I just thought, I felt quite overwhelmed at the thought of, I, I don't know if I needed to respond to all of those and were, there, were they all like videos that I needed to take some time out to watch or things I needed to read. And just the thought of after a busy, very, very busy and taxing day at work, then having to pick up the phone yeah and then go through all of those and that was just whatsapp messages that wasn't my personal emails that wasn't telegram, that wasn't um relationships like at home or anything like that. that literally was just whatsapp, and that was one day mm. and yeah. so, so I know what you mean when you say like to take that break because it can be, and in my case i and it was especially during covid working from home not really having that much of the social interaction and there was just so much going on mm. it really did feel very very overwhelming so i know i know what you mean when mm. you say that taking that break and that stepping back and that is really important though because your mental yeah. health if you if we were to take in everything that's going on so like prime example i live here in the u.s a few short miles from mm. where all that madness happened on Wednesday. I don't live far from it. Let yeah. me just put that out there. I don't live far from it. Yeah. So, and I was having a very, yeah. very busy day at work. Cause the truth is I have chosen, I've chosen not to put on the news to read much. I look at headlines. I read enough not to be ignorant, but I don't take in too much to be overwhelmed and distraught and depressed by it. Mm. And it was because I was getting calls and messages from the UK. Are you okay? Is everything, cause especially people that know I've moved here. So mm. like, are you okay? What's going on? And so I'm just like, yeah, I'm good. Um, <laughs> and so somebody said, put the news on. And I put the news on and I saw what was happening.
2: Wow. Yeah.
1: And then, and I started to go down a rabbit hole. I must admit, because one of the things I started to do, I put, I, i put it on the different channels because you know you put it on one and it's biased and towards one side you put it on another and it's biased towards the other side and you, you, you know you're just trying to find the most neutral news if that's even a thing or possible right
3: mm.
1: so i i put that on and then i started to read the whatsapp messages then i started to get the emails and then the mm-hmm. text messages and people calling me it's like are you okay stay safe i know that you're not that close with but you're close enough and and it's just like wow wow and then because obviously born and raised in the uk i still have a very very keen interest in what's happening over there Mm -hmm. yeah and so it's just like okay this is this the 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 last few days have been very very overwhelming
3: Mm.
1: where you could run the risk and then what i was starting to look at as well because being a minister born and raised in church I then started to go on the social media pages of all those ministers that were prophesying that mm. how, you know, the, how this election was going to turn out. So I was looking and you know what it is. You, you, you can get caught up in the comments, right? You get your popcorn mm. and you get a drink and you just, because I'm just here for the comments, <laughs> just to read. Mm. And, yeah. and, and the next thing you know, an hour and an hour and a half can go by when you've done nothing
3: mm. consumed
1: things that really don't sit well in your spirit.
2: Yeah, we're talking of sitting well in spirit. I'm just wondering what will happen with, I mean, I don't want to get too caught up in that, but what will happen with WhatsApp? Because I'm hearing lots of people talking about this new thing in the clauses that says in recent times that um, by a certain date, I think in the next couple of weeks, uh, if you don't kind of opt out, then WhatsApp and Facebook will have access to your contacts um you know in your phone and all this kind of stuff um and a lot of people are saying you know they're messaging me saying look one have you seen this and two are you going to kind of stay in it or are you going to opt out and I'm just like oh, you know what um I've got nothing particularly hiding I mean I don't want them to have access to people's information in my phone um so it maybe I just go back to text messaging you know I'm not just um kind of you know um get rid of the, the whatsapp and facebook but i have found the facebook useful because i've tapped into people who i haven't seen for a long time yeah and although you know much like people that have come to you and kind of said hang on a minute you're around the corner are you okay there are people that i haven't seen for literally years because of you know my absence um and facebook was the going to go the, into that <laughs> Facebook was the quickest way to connect with some of those people and it's Mm -hmm. been really good to connect with. them. I've met up with a couple of people from school that I haven't seen literally since we left school. How many years ago? Um, I can't even think how many years ago it is. It's going to be uh, 20-ish. My maths is terrible. It's about 27 years, something like that. So not far behind you.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Good, I'm not on my own out here. But, um, but, and the thing is the truth of the matter is all these things they all have their uses, they all have their purpose don 't they? Mm-hmm. because for me, having moved away from the u k almost nine years ago, keeping yeah. it has been WhatsApp has been such a valuable tool in me being able to keep in touch with people around the world without people having to stop and think of oh my gosh it 's going to cost me a fortune to call mm-hmm. her to to keep connected i 've been still able to watch. My family members that were little when I was there growing up, because I've been able to get videos sent mm. to me of them. That's not going to cost anybody a fortune to send or anything like that. So, absolutely, absolutely has its uses and purposes. However, if it's going to be something where the whole big brother is watching thing, I don't know how comfortable I would start to be mm. with that. But then, having said that, that's something that I've been hearing going around for at least a good three years now, anyway.
3: Hmm.
1: So it's now to like okay to look into it's like okay is it true this time?
2: <laughs> yeah, 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 that's true. Because I mean, I remember years ago, um, um, being in uh, a particular space. We'll come to that, but uh, having access to a, a phone and and kind of getting into the WhatsApp and stuff. And I remember this thing that was going around saying, "Oh, if you don't do this, then they're going to be charged to use WhatsApp." And that never did happen. Exactly. Um, so this is the thing about you know all the fake news, and it's worrying. It just what what makes me quite frustrated and sometimes borderline annoyed, um, to put it mildly, is the time that people seem to have to create the fake news. Because I really don't have the time to read it. Um, but you know some of these these memes and things that go around and I just think well, some creativity has got into that It's taken you more than a couple of hours to produce that. Why you know for what purpose and it reminds me this is the I'll tell you this story very briefly Because um, I never did get it and maybe you can kind of help me out when I was um, About I don't know 11 or 12. I used to enjoy going to my cousins in in the west of London because um, I was an only child so I'd go to my cousins, there were three of them. It was nice to hang out and be with, you know, other people in the absence of having my own siblings. And uh, one day we have gone to the shop, we have gone to a 7-Eleven. I don't even know if they exist anymore.
1: Um, you were still around.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know about here. But um, we have gone to this 7-Eleven and this girl's come up to me and she said to me, um, oh, you know, you look really... I think the words she used was uh, really fine. But even before fine actually was one of those words that was in the, you know, the kind of... Uh, the vernacular that we all use and um, and I got all so excited because I've never been chatted up by a girl before um, and she gave me this number so i rushed home like uh, the sap that I was uh, to, to <laughs> ring this this woman and I'm so I'm ringing this girl and I rang and somebody's answered the phone and said don't know what you're talking about don't know who you're on about and I was just like and I'm scratching my head and then um, I'm having a kind of a home Simpson moment because I, I did the same thing, you know, in that Einstein um, uh, saying about doing the insanity thing, you know, doing the same thing, expecting a different result. Because I rang the number back again as if the result was going to be different. It's okay if you dial though, right? <laughs> well, that's what I thought. This is what I'm saying. I thought exactly that. But then it occurred to me that she'd given me the wrong number deliberately. And I just thought, but if that was, you know, a joke to entertain herself, How did she get the laugh? Because she didn't actually see... Didn't know whether or not you rang it, right? Yeah, exactly. So, Mm. I don't know. I mean, this is how my brain brain is a little bit nuts like that.
1: Okay, Um, so I know from the other side of that, because I've never just deliberately given somebody a wrong number, because without it being a case of, you know, back in the day when you were out, you were at a dance, and sometimes guys would make you feel pressured.
3: mm, And...
1: And it's just like, you know, and rather than get, um, be on the receiving end of their wrath, you would just give them a fake number. I know I've been on that part of it where it's been a case of you're at a dance, a guy's seeing you, he's chatting you up, doesn't really want to take no for an answer.
3: See, so, yeah, that, like, mm.
2: that's frustrating because, you know, it's really it's uncomfortable to hear a woman have to say it rather than being on the end of uh, a guy's wrath. Because at the end of the day, no is no. I mean, if you really like someone, okay, that's cool. But if if they shut you down just because you you feel embarrassed, that's your business. You know, I, I've been there. I've, I've you know, I've been in the situation where I asked a girl's number. I remember I asked this girl for a number. This was hilarious, and I found I found it really funny. I asked this girl for a number. She gave me a number. It turns out it was a you know, it wasn't the right number. All right, so I'm like, cool. I bump into her again. I said oh well, hi how are you doing what's your name again she said well, it depends on what i told you it was last time
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> and i laughed because i found that quite funny but you know it is what it is and there should be no rough you know at the end of the day you know if someone is attracted to you great if they're not it is what it is you move on you keep it moving
3: but because-
1: unfortunately oh. a lot of guys no i'm not going to say a lot unfortunately some guys didn't get that memo though because mm. Believe me, I've been on the receiving end several times of a guy making his move. And mm-hmm. I, I don't believe I was ever one that was disrespectful in how I turned it down. Because to be honest, it takes a lot to make that move. It, it mm-hmm. does. I'm, I can't see it being an easy thing. So I'm not going to then um, be that person that's going to scar a man forever. That he's never gonna make his move again because boy, you see how she? No, I never wanted to be, and I don't believe I ever was that person in how Mm. I shut a guy down to start Mm. with. If it started to get go on and go on, on, then I would have to tell him a few choice words and tell him about some of his ancestors, and we're gonna go all the way there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I know. Listen, I know I have done that, you know, in my younger days, and it was only because it's just like, dude, I told you no. I didn't do it in a disrespectful way. I should have a choice as yeah. to who I choose to entertain, and I choose not to entertain you. So how about you just take the oh, um, that's very sweet of you, but no, thank you, and like mm. you said, keep it moving rather than, well, come on and and go in and you're, and you're going, like like you're kneading dumpling and you. <laughs> Seriously, for well, for those people that don't know about kneading dumpling, like you're kneading bread, pastry or whatever, but you just knead and spike. and that's when you get to the point where you get exasperated and you say, "I told you, no, leave me alone." So what you're thinking, like, actually, I don't think I'm nice. I know I'm nice, but you obviously did too, because if you didn't, you wouldn't have stepped to me to start with. It really is as simple as that. How about bye bye now?
3: Oh wow. <laughs>
2: Wow, I I, think I could get some real kind of pointers from you because you sound like you've been around this—you know—around this track a few
3: times.
1: And it, you know, yeah, it has, and it got to the point where before I would start to get vocal, I would just say, just for the, just like, okay, my number is. Fortunately, I've always pretty, I've have always lived well in West London. And there were times I lived very close to Wembley Stadium. So before Mm. numbers went to like the 0845 and the 0844 and the 0800 numbers, before Mm. they went to that, believe me, I was given, because I think it was something like 9001234 or something like that, the Wembley box office number. So that's regularly, regularly what people would get. Or there was a time I moved to Greenford. And funnily enough, my number sounded like a taxi number because it was 575, yeah, honestly, it was five seven five five two five two. Okay. Yeah, Do you yeah, know yeah. how many people didn't believe me that that was my number? I'm like, that works for me. So I would actually <laughs> give my real number and people wouldn't believe it and they would never call it. And so when they try to call me out, I'd say, actually, I did give you my number, but it's okay. Mm. But
3: okay.
1: Uh, honestly, but to your point, there were times when I would never say to a guy, oh, here, here's my number, take my number and give him a false number. Mm-hmm. But whenever I gave the false number, it was only under times when I felt pressured and I thought mm-hmm. you know what I really don't want to get into this so let me give this guy a number mm. and, and a name because unlike that young lady it wasn't a, It depends on what I told you it was the last time I only used one fake name it was always Jeanette <laughs> it was always Jeanette and that was the That's name I, yeah that.
2: my, my grandmother's name was Jeanette <laughs> yeah. oh my lord in I don't have- my, my daughter's middle name is Jeanette, after my grandmother.
1: Oh, stop it. And you know, at the time, you know, I don't think, I don't believe I actually knew anybody with the name Jeanette. That's why I thought it was the safest name to use. Mm. Now, I know one person that I, and I actually work with her. But no, I actually don't know anybody with the name Jeanette. Janet, yes, but not Jeanette. Yeah, yeah. So, it was one, so yeah, to your point, I don't understand what her point was. I don't know if it was just an ego thing for her that she felt like, oh, well, okay, mm-hmm. he didn't turn... Because you know what it is? A good-looking woman could go up to a guy and say something, and the guy could turn and say, oh, um, no, thank you. So so you know, so that could happen. But I don't know if it was... that. All these years later, Andrew, I still can't answer for you because I have no clue as to why somebody would just go up to somebody, tell them how appealing they think they are and say, here's my number and give them a fake number. Makes no sense. Yeah.
2: Do you know what? This yeah. is one of those things that I, I, I kind of resigned myself to the fact that I'll never have the answer. It's like, mm. I'm one of these people that once upon a time I would look at things like, I don't know, uh, items in a shop and it would say only one calorie. And I think, well, if you've got 99 up, why can't you get them all out? Know, silly silly. <laughs> silly things like that would entertain me and i just think you know my mind would just (laughs) my mind would be thinking about this stuff but the other thing is that um i used to kind of wonder because you see the funny thing is with with kind of dating and women and all that kind of stuff is that i can't actually remember ever having uh actually no that's not true i think i had one girl come up to me one time uh, and asked me for my number, and it was yeah, it was a little bit strange. I think she was a little bit drunk, but
3: um not
2: um, yeah. Andrew. <laughs> well, yeah, just you know, just gotta be honest. Um, but apart from that, I mean, I, 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 I've always noticed that one of the things. Well, it's not even that something I've noticed. I just wonder sometimes. I'm just trying to cast my mind back to times when I felt the bravado of being in company of others, and then. Finding the, you know, the the, the, the cojones, uh, if you like, to go up to a woman like yourself, for example, knowing that maybe I'm going to get the response that you just um, given, or you know, doing it when you're on your own because at least mm-hmm. nobody else can see, nobody else knows, although you know, because yeah, you know, we know oh, that, that was a horrible shutdown.
1: <laughs> but you see, the thing is, the initial shutdown from me is never horrible. It's mm. always a oh, uh, no thanks, it's yeah. always, uh, oh, no, no, no thanks, and I give you the little smile just to let you know, so that I don't completely crush your confidence, right? Yeah. So, it's a, so that when you walk away, so you know something, as much as you might be like a little, feel a little ding, at mm. least you can say, well, at least that was a nice
3: mm.
1: no thank you. Because, mm. for example, it could be, people don't know why you say no thank you. I could be married. Do you see what I mean? And and to be honest with you, I wouldn't want my husband entertaining somebody just walking up to them because they think they're attractive and entertaining them. I don't think I would want my I would want my husband to be flattered because if Mm. I found my husband attractive, guess what? Chances are I'm not the only one in the world, and if I am, it's a problem. So, so, So you know, so I know that other people are going to find him attractive and if they step to him because my thing is this i cannot help what other people do i can only be responsible for my excuse me my response and my reaction and Mm -hmm. i say the same for him he cannot i can't hold him responsible for somebody else's actions Mm -hmm. word or anything i can only watch to see okay you know you're married they don't know you're married but you know you're married Hmm. And I believe me, I've gone through that because my ex-husband he decided he wanted to entertain somebody. I'm like, first and foremost, I'm sure she knew you were married. I'm sure mm-hmm. she did because he always he always wore his wedding ring. Even because he was a personal trainer, he never took it off. Yeah. Or he Always, always wore it. So I'm like, hmm, interested. I'm sure she knew you were married. I'm sure she did. But even if she didn't, you knew you were married. You still chose to entertain mm-hmm. that. So um, hey.
2: See, that's the honest I do wonder about that as well, because one of the things I've often found now that you say that is that um no wedding ring, you know, there's definitely no wedding ring, but whenever I've been involved with somebody, for some reason they come from everywhere, you know, the people just they're interested in me. And when I'm single, no one can't see me. It's almost like that whole kind of um you know, when a guy puts on a wedding ring, it's all of a sudden he's alive to every yeah, woman. Yeah, it's a beacon,
1: right? It's a beacon, and, yeah. a
2: and then you take the ring off, and it's like no one can't see him.
1: Yeah. Um,
2: and I just wonder what that's all about, as well. I mean, I don't think I'll ever get to the bottom of that—not um, in this lifetime, anyway. But it's yeah, it's just—it's really strange.
1: You know that saying they um they say people want what they can't Have. have. Mm. Mm. And I think that could be an element of it people want what they can't have and also I think again that in some aspects people some people are drawn to uh, that married man or that married woman because mm. if they're marriage material then hey
3: mm.
1: they're not some loosey-goosey kind of going mm. on around the place that's one thing because I, I and to be honest I honestly I don't know what it Is and then you've got some people that you know what I'm fine with them being married or in a relationship or whatever because the truth is I don't want a relationship I just got an itch that needs scratching every once in a while and again none of them (laughs) no but you know what I mean I I think especially in the field of being a life coach I think I gosh and a life coach and a mentor I'm thinking to myself. I don't know if there's much, especially being the age that you are, you go around the mountain a few times and you have your own experiences and hear of experiences of others. I'm just like, I think there's very few scenarios left that I either haven't heard of or that could surprise me. (laughs)
3: Mm, Yeah.
1: But honestly, I, I don't know what it is. And I think in some respects as well, people see that person that's married and they want what they have.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: I think some of it is that they want what they have.
2: Do you know, yeah, that's interesting you say that because I mean, worryingly, me, year, some years ago, I saw um, a lady who was older than me, and she wore a ring uh, when we, you know, when we got involved because she wanted people to believe that we were married. And I was like, why would you do that? Um, you know, what, what is it all about? And I, I did get really concerned about that. I mean, it didn't last very long we went our separate ways but you know that's another story for maybe for another time <laughs> probably, not, probably not on a recorded um zoom but anyway um, <laughs>
3: uh,
2: <laughs> but yeah no i just found that really odd so in that sense yeah I, I get that because people often do want it's like that whole thing about keeping up with the joneses isn't it you know, mm. your married or your friends had a baby so you want to be married you want a baby you want a house you want a, car, you want a better job what, whatever i mean I don't know. I don't know. Um, you know, I'm just kind of happy to do what I can with what I've got where I am because, you know, that's all I can do. Um, and I think I'd get very tired. I mean, I did love, there was one pastor, he had lots of really good sayings and I, I've held on to them, you know, quite dearly. And I remember him looking at me one day, he said to me, You know what? I said, What's that pastor? He said to me, uh, You know, in life, if you feel that are leaving you behind, you know what you need to do in it. I said, What? He said, You need to run faster, my friend. <laughs> and i said you know what that's you know it's common sense but yeah it makes sense um and um yeah i mean he had lots of little sayings that used to just tickle me a little bit
1: no but i like that one because it's but it's true though you you need to because me before i start running faster though (laughs) i start to look at which direction they're running in You see, you see, you're the person that's like, well, if you've got 99 calories out, why can't you get the other one? I'm that person because I I do take that step back and I'm like, hmm, let me stop and think about this. I I can be quite impulsive. Don't get me wrong. Mm. I can be very, very impulsive. But when it comes to certain things like, okay, they're running faster, but what direction are they running in? Is that the direction I even want to go?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it could be that you're running, you you know, the direction you're coming from, you know what's back there. Um, Uh And, you know, (laughs) they could be running into something far worse than than you're going away from. So,
3: yeah.
2: yeah. One of the, another friend of mine, um, not the pastor, but this friend of mine, he had this saying, he's just like, be careful of the company that you're keeping. You know, he said, because if you're hanging around with nine negative people, guess who's going to become number 10? You know, again, really common sense stuff. And it's just all about that, you know, just because people are going in one direction, do I actually need to go in that direction?
1: Exactly. You know, again, it's what you were saying about herd mentality, right? Because, mm-hmm. and um, as you mentioned that, it brings to mind a blog that I had written and put on my website, and it's called Guilty by Association.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Because it, how many expressions and sayings do we have? Birds of a feather flock together. Be that yeah. good or bad. Yeah. Tell me who your friends, and I'll show you who you are. Be that good mm. or bad. So I did write. I actually did write a um a blog, and I put it up on my website about that guilty by association. Mm. Watch the company you keep, because growing up didn't didn't our parents and grandparents always told that? You know, watch your friend and companion and them. We were mm. always told. We were always told that. Yeah. Always told that. And admittedly. It was always if they saw us with somebody that they didn't think had a, was of good character. Yeah. But it's a shame it wasn't drummed into us more that that expression also applies to the good company you keep. The good, because yeah. we always put that with a negative connotation because of how it was told to us. Mm. but that can, can actually apply to if you're doing good things in the community if you're around positive forward thinking forward moving people mm. watch the, the friends and the company that you keep because yeah. if you're around nine positive people guess who the 10th positive person is going to be
3: yeah yeah
2: it's so true and you know it's funny because um give me some nostalgic moments here you know <laughs> I can remember some years ago, I I went for this job. It was in northwest London. It was in Camden, and I was late for the job. I was late. I planned everything down to you know the 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 minutiae of my route and timing and all this kind of stuff. And I got there late. Anyway, as I arrived there, the lady behind the desk she said to me that they're waiting for you. Good luck. And I said, I bet you told everyone good luck. She said, actually, no, I haven't. And at that moment, I don't know what it was, and I don't seem to get these moments much anymore, and I really need to tune into it, but at that moment, I thought, you know what? I'm going to get this job. So I've gone into the interview, and there's three people in there, and one of them is a retired uh, probation officer, one was a retired tax inspector, Uh, and then one was um, the director of the organization. And so I sat in front of them, we did the interview. Um, They weren't really um, kind of apps and mobile phones back then, even though I'm not that old. And... Um, I the remember time, the
3: day before
1: mobile phones, so we're good.
2: <laughs> from the time I left Camden to get back to South London, they'd decided that I'd not only got the job, but they'd phoned my answer machine at my grandmother's house to say, we like you, we'd like you to have the job, uh, when can you start?
3: Wow. And
2: it was like, wow. And the funniest thing, I mean, without even kind of getting into the figures, I was probably the, uh, I don't know, second from bottom uh, uh, in terms of pay. And believe me, the pay was all right. Pay was good. Um, And that that was like over, oh, everything's 20 years ago, isn't it? It it was over 20 years ago. They gave me that job. Unfortunately, I was going through a phase in my life at that time where I was battling addiction, um, which, again, is, you know, that's another story maybe for in a minute. I I don't know, but...
1: um, that's a nice segue into it actually
2: (laughs) well but um you know I I really and it's sad because you know what that was one of the I'm going to sound like a you know kind of utopian um burst in fruit flavor kind of guy now but I was really happy at that point in my life and there was something about what was happening around me at that time that I knew that that job was mine because I I was so desperate for it I wanted it but not to the point that um I was going to beg or grovel or you know kind of oh please pick me pick me pick me it wasn't any of that it was like what's the question and then they asked the question i gave an answer they liked my answer uh, and that was it they offered me the job and i really you know i had a really good time working with them and the lady who uh, sally was the lady who was sat behind the desk um a young black woman single parent but you know lovely fantastic um individual um she was the administrator and um yeah she you know i remember her looking and just saying yeah i really did mean um good luck um i don't know what it was i think she just saw me she liked me and um yeah you know they offered me the job um and i you know i only say that because what i'm trying to do so much at the moment is tap back into that because there was there was a an assuredness about how i felt at that moment that was not arrogance it was you know, a real sense of, you know what, something, someone, God, whatever you choose to call it, has got me and I'm getting this job. Mm. Uh, and that's exactly what happened. I haven't had, I don't think, a moment like that before or since. Um, or maybe and I haven't just not spotted it. I don't I don't know.
1: I think you may have and have not spotted it because I think what can happen with to us, life starts to weigh us down. There's a lot of baggage and And when I say baggage, I mean in the sense of the things that we're having to juggle every day that can cloud our minds, where we no longer have that moment to be, or that time to be present in a particular moment because we're always so busy onto the next thing. Yeah. There's many times that we don't really stop to be still. And I think sometimes, because if you think about how you were at that time, Mm Where you were personally, emotionally, mentally, spiritually at that time, yes, you would be more aware of these things because it's it's the the same thing nowadays where it's not that it's possibly not even happening. A lot of the times now we are so busy with things, we are now oblivious to some things that are still happening. But I don't believe they stop.
3: Mm.
1: I honestly don't believe they stop. I just believe it's a case of us being aware that they're still happening. Yeah. Like how many times have you been so caught up and focused doing something that you take a breath and you look up and you say, oh my gosh, is it still raining outside? (laughs) It never stopped raining. Yeah. But you were so consumed and caught up in what you were doing. Mm -hmm. You completely tuned it out, zoned it out. And then when you take that thought and that breath, that it's still raining but I didn't even realize it was still raining you know or the mm. one where oh it started raining I didn't even know oh it stopped raining I didn't even know do you see what mm. I, we've all done that
2: I've had a few of those days recently trust me
1: see, exactly do you see what I mean where it's a case of like I said it's oh it started raining okay yeah it has been for a while you just didn't you didn't even notice when it started or mm. it stopped raining You didn't even notice when it stopped or mm. it was still raining. You didn't even realize that something was still happening because mm. you were just so focused, so consumed within that thing that you were doing. And that yeah. ex- I, but I firmly believe that experience for you never stopped. Yeah. Other mm. things clouded it. Yeah. Mm. See, that, that's that's my bit of inspiration for the day. I can go to bed now. Kidding.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Again. <laughs>
1: considering it's literally only like one o'clock in the afternoon.
2: <laughs> Do you know what, I, I don't mind a nap in the afternoon, i got to be honest. I don't know if that's just the... I don't know what that is, but I just, I like a nap.
1: No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> or, or you're still in your youth because babies nap. No, I don't like to nap in the afternoon because if I hmm. nap, that's it. I can't get to sleep that night. I'm going to be up.
2: Do you right. know what it is? It's related to incarceration. Um, because one of the things about prison is that if you're in um one of the higher category prisons so a b or c cat prison at some stage after the you know the kind of the morning education or morning work activity you have your lunch and you you put behind your door and there's not a lot to do so it's either watch kind of daytime tv which i didn't really like to do or have a little nap and then prepare for the afternoons activities um Mm -hmm. Which again would be some form of work or educational activity. Um, the educational stuff, if it was Open University, I, I really enjoyed it because I felt I was getting more out of it. But when it was the internal educational stuff, which was frankly not really worth a lot, um, it, it was. I found it mind-numbing. I really did at, at times. Um, but I just pursued other things and. Um, yeah, that's where the, the kind of napping in the afternoon came from. It would be like, right, behind the door, have something to eat." I mean there was, there was rumors I don't know if any of it's true, but there were rumors that years ago in prisons in, in, in this country, uh, food, and you know, I, I take um, uh, kind of a, a disclaimer here, because um, yeah. I don't know if it's true, and um, it is what it is, but there was rumors that uh, food was laced with bromide.
1: Yeah, I did hear that from men in prison in the UK that yeah really? and some of the horror stories I hear over here in the US like maybe they should be uh,
3: yeah. well,
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, something I've heard about putting bromide in their tea I yeah. that, I heard that that is something I heard
2: mm, mm. yeah so I, I mean I don't know I mean because I, one of the things I did notice is that sometimes you'd have some lunch at what lunchtime <laughs> and, um, uh, or lunchtime-ish because actually in, in prison lunchtime was kind of around half eleven quarter to twelve it, it varied uh, and then you'd be banged up literally from about kind of twelve o'clock-ish till about half past one um, but yeah so uh, I, I'd doze off you know I, I might watch the news or the, you know one of the political shows or whatever uh, and then I'd just zonk out and then wake up immediately at half past one almost by instinct um, Mm. to go off on the main movement to back to work again. Mm.
1: Yeah that was your your body clock you see didn't your internal alarm clock but that leads nicely into the purpose of our podcast Andrew though so you're because okay so now and I want you to please correct me if I'm wrong you are somebody that has looked into IPPs which Mm. for those that don't know is called what um, imprisonment for public protection and it's something that was in England introduced into England and Wales back in what 2005 and yes yeah. Mm -hmm. so so you are somebody that's like a store advocate for those people that are in prison as a result of IPPs to get their cases looked at and you've also Um, started a political party but what I want to know is the journey and the road that led you to being the person now that is fighting against IPPs and starting a political party? Because you don't really hear many people starting a well, political party. <laughs> so,
2: I mean, there's a few things there. I mean, that I have to kind of say, uh, uh, so firstly, I mean, although I've been a co-founder of a political party, I'm not actually involved in it. Uh, and there's a reason for that. but I'll, I'll come back to that. Um, but I'm really proud of, of what we've done. Um, my, myself and my co-founder, um, my long-term friend, uh, Charles uh, Gordon, who um, has been, you know, he's done okay. So he, he's been able to um, put his hand in his pocket and help to get, the, you know, to get the party to where it is today. But as I say, I'm not actively involved because, I mean, I'll deal with that now. I mean, because at the moment, I, I'm a civil servant. Uh, which is really bizarre and I'll come back to that because obviously being an ex-prisoner myself when I say that I'm a civil servant people are like how are you a civil servant? Um, but I'll come back to that but the point is with the civil service there are rules and things that govern um, what you can do and one of the things that you can't do is be politically uh, active as such.
3: You. Okay. So, I don't,
2: so I don't have any political leaning as such although i have been involved up until i joined the civil service just over a year ago now i can't believe a year's gone already but just over a year ago um in setting up um taking the initiative party uh, or ttip for sure um the other thing is that um with ipp i am an ipp so i was given an indeterminate sentence and so some of the history to it is that in 2003, the legislation was written, and as you rightly say, in 2005, you know the first IPPs were given out, and the whole idea was that people, the whole idea was that maybe 1,000 people, um, I don't even know how they came to that, it's kind of an arbitrary figure in my view, um, which will become a bit more clear when I say what I'm gonna say now, which is that the whole idea was it was gonna be aimed at a 1,000 of the most serious, uh, prolific, violent offenders. Um, I don't know who came to the conclusion there were only a 1,000 of them in the whole of the UK. The UK, right? There you go. Um, So what then happened is that um, that number increased substantially um, because for some reason the law was written in such a way that over 400 offences could receive an indeterminate uh, sentence for public protection. So they were literally giving these sentences out like Smarties. Now, that wasn't the problem. I think what the problem was was that at the end of this sentence, which had no actual end, what the, the, you know, the legislation was saying is that if you get an IPP, in order to prove that you are safe to be released, you must complete offending behavior programs. Right. Trouble arose there because most of these offending behavior programs didn't have enough um, you know, psychologically trained um, staff to run them. Um, they would only run programs of maybe eight to 10 individuals at a time, which created a bottleneck. So you had some people getting 12 month tariff in prison, but the course that they had to do had a five year waiting list. So, you know, you don't have to be Columbo or, or, you know, um, uh, Jessica Fletcher to work out that you're going to be in prison for some time. And so I was given a, a sentence, uh, of, um, minimum of two years, um, at which time I could be reviewed and I wasn't reviewed until I'd done five years in custody and then I was sent to open conditions I mean I made mistakes you know I was returned from open conditions to closed conditions and then I had to work my way back to open conditions and eventually I was released uh, in 2019 so literally just over a year ago um and uh, as I say, you know, twelve, I think somewhere like twelve, thirteen thousand people, I can't remember the exact figure, uh, got indeterminate sentences. And at, at, at the time that we're speaking now, there are still nearly two thousand or just over two thousand people serving indeterminate sentences in prison. And what's worrying about that is I think forty percent of those people are people who've been released but have later been recalled to custody for one reason or another. And those reasons may range from, you know, inadvertently or maybe, you know, deliberately missing probation appointments. It may be, it may be that they've committed a further offence. It may be that they're suspected of committing a further offence, or maybe. Sorry,
1: sorry, you say suspected, so there may not be any actual evidence that they have actually committed an offence. But just because they're suspected, they could just be called back to prison, whether or not they did.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Because see, one of the difficulties with this sentence, and I, I kind of get it because some people do kind of get upset at the fact that the whole point of IPP is to protect the public. I get that.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: But at the same time, one of the license conditions that IPPs, and most people actually who go to prison have, is that it says you must be a good behaviour. Now that's a really broad uh, term because you know you could be you could be in the wrong place at the wrong time uh get arrested and that probably will generate a recall even if you haven't faced the charge because the fact is you have put yourself in in the eyes of the system in a position where you've been uh uh arrested so for example um you know we're now in effectively in lockdown Mm -hmm. uh, and we have been intermittently for a year now yeah um, effectively um so in, in the UK, there are COVID regulations and there are reasons that you should go out and there are reasons that you should stay at home. And so if, um, you know, th- there are some figures out, and I believe they're accurate because they're published by the government, so they can't be wrong, I wouldn't have uh, well, thought. Well, I say that, but what I say, what I say is this because I, 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 I had a chat with a police officer um, during the summer, last summer. And this officer had stopped a young black man very close to where I live, and I wondered why. And I just said, but what's, "What's going on?" And they said to me, "Well, yeah. you know, we're just having a chat with him. We want to know why he's in the area." And I said, "Why? Because you know, I'm a father, so I just I, I want to be, or right, I have a little girl and not a son. But I, you know, I, I'm just a bit concerned that why is he being stopped and why you know nobody else is being stopped here?" And it turned out that because he was wearing his hood and he was wearing a face mask, they wanted to uh interact with him and i just thought but he's been told to wear it. i mean all right it, it was kind of summery but it was it was a bit chilly so he had his hood up nothing wrong with that um and he's wearing a face mask because he's been told to wear a face mask the
1: whole world have been told to wear face masks not so just there, one particular it, place they, the whole they, world we all have been
2: so there you go but you know so but for a young black guy You wear a face mask on the directive of, you know, governance and government and and then you're stopped for it. You're stopped by police officers. So I I asked questions and uh, one of the things I said to this officer was, um, I'm just a bit concerned that 22,000 young black men have been stopped in this lockdown alone. And her response to me was frightening. So there were two things she said to me. Firstly, she said to me, how many white people have been stopped? Uh, And I've got that on video. Um, She said, how many white people have been stopped? And I said... I've no idea, because I'm not white. So, you know, in that sense, I've got to be honest with you, it's not not that I'm not disinterested, mm-hmm. it's just not relevant to me in that regard, you know, at, at this moment in time, because it's like the whole Black Lives Matter thing. It's not that all lives don't matter, it's just kind of like, you know what? You know, there was that analogy about, you know, the, um, all buildings matter, but this one's on fire.
3: Exactly, so, exactly. You know, <laughs> it's
2: that kind of analogy. But then the other thing she said to me, was, where did you get the figures from? Because I said to her, disproportionately, black men are nine times more likely to be stopped and searched by police than any other group. And she said, where did you get the figures? I said, the home office. And it's troubling that you don't know that.
1: Right, No, the thing is, whether or not she knew that, the fact that she was barefaced enough to ask you where you got the figures from, when it's public knowledge. Hmm. Just like, because to me, it's a case of, does she not know that, or is she just trying to be a smart mouth do you know what i mean
2: well i mean it's funny i mean i need to get the video uh, back again because I, I broke my phone but i've still got the, mm. the video somewhere um and believe you me when i tell you i mean i'm not um you know inflating or conflating anything to do with it It's exactly what she said word for word and i was just i was really troubled by it um even recently where i live i mean where i live is not um fancy uh it's a nice little flat uh, above some shops but i i went to park my car the other day outside the house and this guy came to the door uh, where i was parking he said are you coming here i said what's it got to do with you and he said he was asking me basically why i was parking my car i said i live here he said you live here and i'm just like well this place isn't fancy but Mm. yes i live here um and it's you know it's really got nothing to do with you and it's just it, it is worrying sometimes when i kind of see this stuff because um it's almost like I don't know I mean I can't put my finger on it but there's just this kind of sense of uh, I hate to say it but you know racism is just so it's alive and well it really is and the second the guy you know a black guy or a black person or a person of color you know never mind black says anything about that it's like you've got a chip on your shoulder and I'm just like well, you know how does anything change because the thing is you can't be uh afraid or you know worried or concerned about talking you know truth to power Uh, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, because nothing will change Uh, and the reality is is if if you um are going to make the rules then why do you need to cheat you know the rules that you are um kind of you know enforcing around lockdown and all this kind of stuff but yet you're going to stop a guy because he's wearing a mask in an area that you're wondering why he's in that area he lived in the area and i spoke to this young man after.
3: Mm-hmm. He's 18
2: years old. He lives in the area and he's coming from his work. He came from his job. So he's he's not up to no good. You know, he, he's not doing no nonsense. And guess what? There was nothing on him when they searched him, even though they told me they weren't searching. They were just talking to him, which was a lie because you can blatantly see on the video that I took that he's being searched.
1: My goodness. You know? And, and so, um, things like that, I mean... What happens in cases like that? Is there anything that can be done or are they just completely justified for stopping somebody at moments on their way home from work, moments away from where they live, but because he's wearing a mask and he has a hood on his head that gives them the right to stop and search him. And he's not behaving suspiciously or anything like that in any way, shape or form.
2: Well, do you know, funny enough, one of the things that we're kind of working on You know, one of the things I do, one of the other hats that I wear is that I'm a trustee of a a, um, a small charitable trust and what this charitable trust is doing is not, you know, exclusive to any um, particular uh, race or culture of people, Mm -hmm. but it's working on homelessness, it's working on um, kind of education, entrepreneurship and that kind of thing. But um, one of the things that we're working on is a stop and search project, because we're interested in some of the cases that have taken place. Like, for example, there was a recent case with a bank manager uh, who was um, stopped searched, and arrested, uh, not arrested, uh, sorry, not convicted of anything, because he'd done nothing wrong. He was a straight-laced individual. Um, he lost his job because he was suspended. And then when he went back to his job, he was uh, taken on at a lower grade, uh, which I think is just outrageous Um, but this is all because of interaction with the police so something really does need to change it really really does need to change and so in that sense what I do I mean in the civil services I work for a department that deals with complaints um, about um, custody um, not police stations but uh, prisons uh, detention centers that kind of thing and some of my colleagues, they investigate deaths in custody. So any fatal incidents. And um, I'm in a team that we, you know, we deal with complaints from, it can be the most, uh, you know, it can be the most simplest seeming thing, like, you know, a prisoner who has spent money by direct debit to have a newspaper delivered regularly and that newspaper doesn't appear to uh, something more serious, like, you know, um, people that are, are, are kind of, you know, being harassed and bullied or allegedly I should say harassed and bullied by staff in in custody Um, and you know I'm really grateful for the opportunity because what happened was that the former director-general of the civil service who's now retired came up with a plan and said well you know what if the government or you know as a society, we're asking employers to take on ex offenders, then we need to kind of put our money where our mouth is. And I really have to salute that guy. Um, his name is Sir Mark uh, Sedwell. Um, and so, as a result of that, one of his colleagues from uh, one of the government departments came to a prison I was um, um, resident in at the time mm-hmm. and did a speech. And he basically just said, um, You know, we, we have these opportunities. However, and then he started listing some caveats. And all of those caveats were uh, things that would preclude me from applying. And I just went and I said, whoa, look, hang on a bit. Um, how have you come here to say, here's what you could have won? <laughs> mm. And I, I decided, I put in an application, the governor was very supportive, and, uh, and then I was offered the job. Bizarrely, um, I went on home leave, I came back from home leave on the 4th of July. Uh, and that was when I got the news. Um, I mean, I'm not American, so I don't, you know, buy into the end of the day. But in a way, it was a form of independence because I
1: was just like, wow, at least
2: I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna leave prison, and I've got an opportunity to go and work in gainful employment. And, and I'm sorry, still,
1: explain to me, sorry, I know what it is, but what, home leave.
2: Oh, home leave, home leave. I think in America is the equivalent of what they call furlough. So it's an opportunity to go home for a period, usually maybe one or two or three, I think a maximum of four nights, um, where you specifically you write down uh, an application of what you're gonna do, who you're gonna do it with, and when you're gonna do it. Um, usually the first day and the last day of your home leave is reserved for travel. So it's basically traveling to and then from, and then what happens in between will be the kind of positive, relevant, appropriate activities that will um, see you leave prison, hopefully, in a better position than, than, you, than you entered. That's the idea, whether that actually happens in practice is speculative at best I would say.
3: because no, um, um,
1: Throughout the course of my life I have come into contact with um, people that have been incarcerated and they were, they have done the home leave thing and not what ho- they, what they were doing is not what home leave was intended so so i know a lot of people may have heard of home leave and to be honest until i had interacted with people that ha- were in prison i didn't know what home leave even was yeah. never uh, and, you know never heard of it and you've got some people that still to this day never heard of home leave because you've got a lot of people that don't know how These systems run they there's a lot of ignorance around things for example you do have a lot of people that believe that there are no corrupt police you know they've got these people that they they just they live in this like la-la land kind of thing they believe there's no corrupt police and if the police say it or not even the police you do have some people that believe that if a person in authority says X it must be true because there's no way this person in authority is going to
2: lie. Yeah. Do you see what I mean,
3: yeah.
2: So, it's, it's funny you mentioned about the homely because, you know, I didn't even know there was such a thing as an open prison until one. I remember being in a closed prison and somebody saying to me, you're going to go decat," And I was like, what's DCAT? And um, when he explained it to me, I was like, this guy's messing with me. I said, for real. So you,
1: you explain it to us, please, because if you didn't well, even know it and you were there.
2: <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, the thing is, yeah, I mean, DCAT is effectively so. In the UK, they, they, they categorise the, the male estate. The, the women's estate, I don't think, is categorised in quite the same way. I don't think they have categories. There are closed prisons and open prisons for women, and that's it. Okay. With men, there is A-cat, B-cat, C-cat, and D-cat. A-cat is for the most serious kind of high-risk offenders who could probably flee the country at a moment's notice in a private jet or whatever. I mean, I'm being a bit silly now, but um, you know, have the resources and the capability to do that. B-cat... I'm, I'm-
1: are they sorry to cut you but um a category um or a cat is that for also not just for those that have the means to leave is that not also for the most serious offenders like yes yeah okay
2: serious offenders but i mean th- there is such a thing i think as double a cat so that's like when you're really kind of you're very serious probably like you're
1: a lecture kind of person
2: well yeah exactly exactly like that mm. um <laughs>
1: i could I, I could think of other names i just didn't want to put them out there
2: <laughs> yeah no no that's fair enough but yeah exactly that B cat is slightly down from that but cats, there are for me there isn't much difference between a cat and an a cat apart from the regime is a little bit kind of more not even free because you're still banged up but there are it's still regimented mm-hmm. um it's only really it really gets a little bit more uh, chilled out in CCAT because in CCAT largely not always you'll have things like key to your own room although it's still locked from the outside um, at lock-up time um, you know you might have access to a phone on a more regular basis probably not now though um, you know what with have and, and all that kind of stuff but then the land of milk and honey as I called it because that's what I thought it was DCAT is where you will go to a prison that is literally open so you know there are no locked doors you know there are no um, fences necessarily or if there are they're just perimeter fences but if you decide that you want to have it away on your toes as it were um and and, and abscond then you you know you can do that um and people do people do um because decat the whole point of decat is to start letting you have the opportunity to start building a release plan so looking at things like accommodation employment relationships that kind of stuff okay um, <clears throat> I have to be honest, my experience with DCAT wasn't fantastic, not least because I was returned to those conditions. All right, I put myself in that position. I've got to own that. But I had some very simple goals that I I wasn't able to achieve. You know, I wanted to do my driving test. I wanted to go back to university, and I wanted to find employment. And I wasn't able to do any of those things, uh, sadly. Um, But what is... Fortunate is that since I've been out of prison, I've managed to do my driving test and pass. Um, you know, I've managed to get employment, <coughs> and <coughs> excuse me, um, and I'm looking at the possibility of kind of returning to education as well at some some point. So it's not, you know, it's not all doom and gloom. You know, it's not a okay. complete loss. I just wasn't able to do it then, because unfortunately the system, as it was, disabused me of those, um, those, those ideas. Um, some of my friends think it was um there was a motivation behind it i'm choosing not to really buy into that because i will mm-hmm. never let go of it yeah um, but um you know um i've moved on you know, okay. I, I, that's what i can do is just is just move on i mean it works for some people some people do except i was talking to a guy on social media recently who I noticed he's on a group to do with IPP and he did, he got first class honours degree from the Open University and I just said congratulations fantastic cool. you know so you know, but you, it was, know it,
1: it, you know it, it's yeah. doable and it can be done then so that should hopefully be very encouraging for you to know that you have that goal to go back to education you mm-hmm. absolutely it, it's achievable but what I want to ask you is how did you become an IPP how did you become
3: mm-hmm.
1: You know, how did you become a person that was imprisoned for public protection? Because so, speaking to you now, I'm sure people would be like, "What? How? You, how why? You must have done something heinous to be a person in prison for public protection, right? Because speaking to you, you would never think that you were that person that you were incarcerated mm-hmm. for the years that you were. So, how did you become an IPP?
2: Well, I mean, so I, I never get too into it, but what I do is I, you know, I often say to people just so that I don't leave people guessing, uh, I didn't kill anyone and I'm not a sex offender. Um, and I'm not saying that, you know, being in prison is all about just, you know, murderers and rapists or, or whatever. <laughs> what I'm saying is that, um, <clears throat> the crime that I committed, so the crime that I committed was false imprisonment. It wasn't intentional. Um, it involved a couple of people. Um, I didn't kidnap them uh, although false imprisonment does come under that um, kind of category Mm -hmm. Uh, and as a result of having committed that offence and pleading guilty to it the judge um, said that you know the the offences were made out which basically just means that he had no other option but to give me that sentence which is really bizarre because I remember appearing in front of a high court judge for an unrelated matter to do with family court um, and I mean, that was the motivation behind that, was trying to get contact with my daughter. And that high court judge had read my case and he, he said to me, um, you know, he said, there's a little comfort to you now, but had you appeared in front of me for the offences for which you're now in prison, I wouldn't have given you an indeterminate sentence. So it just shows you just how kind of fluid that it was. And it was all about mindsets of people But this particular judge that I had on the day I was sentenced, decided that, you know, an IPP was the appropriate way to go. I was quite shocked, if I'm honest, because I met people in for uh, offenses that arguably were more serious than mine, and they didn't receive indeterminate sentences, and people that were involved in, you know, actual kidnap with firearms and all that kind of stuff. Um, but, you know, I think that prison for me, in terms of the offense I did commit, was inevitable. Um, mm. I just didn't anticipate I mean, don't get me wrong, I didn't sort of think, ah, oh, let me go and commit this offence and I'll only get this. Mm-hmm. I didn't anticipate the sentence that I got. I just, I thought, you know what, prison is inevitable because I shouldn't have behaved in the way that I did. Mm-hmm. But that is what that is. I just, you know, I just, I kind of still have a little issue that I think that it was far too... Um,
3: too harsh uh, a sentence.
2: Manifestly or... excessive, I think, is the way the the Archbold uh, legal um, book uh, describes it. It says, you know, that there's a precedent that, that um, was used to appeal my sentence, mm-hmm. uh, which was uh, swiftly rejected, as were a number of others. But um, yeah, it says manifestly excessive.
1: Wow, and it's interesting that when you appear in family court and he looked at <laughs> your sentence and mm-hmm. he had a completely different mindset. So it it's it's interesting that it just goes to show that actually mm-hmm. these are discretionary to the judge passing the sentence because he didn't well, have exactly- to. He didn't have to give you that sentence. And if another judge well, looking at it
3: thought,
2: "Huh," <laughs> it's funny you use the word discretionary because IPPs were listed in the in the, you know on the statute as discretionary life sentences, so they were discretionary. You're, you're spot on, um, and it's really interesting that you use that that word. Um, and it's funny because the other thing that happened for me is when I went to court, there were two judges in this particular court in the kind of southwest of of, of England, and um, uh, I remember once a guy said to me oh I hope you don't get that judge because if you get that judge you're, you're in trouble uh, mm. but if you get the other judge you'll be all right and it's funny because the judge he thought I'd be all right under was the one that I got and he was the one that, that shoved the you know IPP my way or uh, hung L plates around my neck as, as people would say that's kind of one of the, def- the not definitions that's one of the things that people in prison say when you get a life sentence you've got L plates wrapped around you um, so basically,
1: you got an L, a life sentence. That's, that's, yeah, a, that's, basically that's what it is. You got a life what, sentence.
2: That's what an IPP is. It's a life sentence, yeah.
1: So you got a. Uh, so, but, oh, so because I just want to get this really clear because you're going to have a lot of people, you know, people listening that are thinking, what is, what's, what, what's, what's the big deal? So an IPP, because I was looking into it after having um, spoken to and heard of you, I had looked into um an IPP and I'm just going to give you like the textbook definition of when you do a search one of the first things that comes back so an IPP is imprisonment for public protection in England and Wales the imprisonment for public protection IPP sentence was was a form of indeterminate sentence introduced by section 225 of the criminal justice act of 2003 with effect from 2000 sorry Criminal Justice Act of 2003 that came into effect in 2005 Mm. by the Home Secretary, the then Home Secretary David Blankett, and it was abolished in 2012. It was intended to protect the public against criminals whose crimes were not serious enough to merit a life sentence, Mm. but who were regarded as too dangerous to be released when the time of their original sentence had expired. So, that is when you look at it that's what comes back from a search yeah. and your research. but the reality is so even though it says it's not a life sentence the reality is you could actually it is a life sentence
2: it is a life sentence it is, and the reason it's a life sentence is because when you get the sentence what they do on your cell card when you go to prison is they write on it they, they'll write one of two things on your cell card one they'll overwrite life or they'll write 99 years um, I remember when my card was written at one particular prison, they wrote 99 years. And it was then I was just like, what? Um, Because when I was actually sentenced and I heard them say, they used the word indeterminate, I thought, well, I'm no, I'm no fool. I've done some foolish things, but I'm no fool. Uh, I know what indeterminate means, but what does it mean for me? Mm. And for for two or three years, nobody could actually tell me what it meant for me. Staff, uh, lawyers, nobody, nobody had any idea. But, um, the, the interesting thing, uh, and it's very interesting that it mentions uh, David Blunkett, who was the Home Secretary at the time, is if you read some of the remarks which are in the public domain that he's used since he came okay. up with the sentence, you'll find that what he's now saying is that he, he finds it was inexcusable because he didn't mean it to do what it's done to people. He didn't mean for it to do what it's now done in terms of the 12, 13, 14,000 people that were locked up under it. Um, but interestingly, um, it took a, and I'm, you know, I'm not going to get into the partisan stuff, but it took a a, a Tory um, justice secretary under uh, Kenneth Clark, who was the man who decided to abolish, abolish it in 2012, just seven years after it was formally used, although it was enacted, as you say, in 2003.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, so, and then the other thing is that um, I think it was i can't remember who it was there was a lawyer that said to me had i committed the offense i mean again no no (laughs) no uh kind of now right (laughs) no but had i committed my offense the offense i committed a year later i probably wouldn't have been given an indeterminate sentence. but i'm just like well shoulda woulda coulda you know i i don't know i mean who who can you know this isn't uh you know minority report the film where i can go back into time and kind of alter things um, it is pretty much what it is.
3: Um, yeah,
1: it, it basically that's <coughs> that's what was done to you. So again, going back to your point, you know, coulda, woulda, shoulda, if you had done, if you had, guess what? It was done when it was done, and and um, the outcome was unfortunately the outcome. But it just goes to show that the person that brought it in, looking back over it, it's just like. Oh, it wasn't supposed to do that. So in that case, then if you brought something in, who was overlooking this thing for it to do what you wanted it to do? Then,
3: yeah, yeah. Who, and you who, know it's funny
1: who, was, who was the person? You know, the, the checks and balances. Who was the person over this, making sure that it was carried out to do what it was supposed to do, so that people like yourself that mm. was was um, given a tariff of a minimum of mm. two years. Before Mm. you could be reviewed, Mm. didn't you weren't reviewed for five years,
3: Mm.
1: but was given, but was but ninety nine years was written on, uh, on your on your paperwork. So in my Mm. mind, I'm thinking to myself, okay, you've admitted that what you did, um, it was inevitable. There was going to be a custodial sentence. Okay, we get that. Hands up, you admit that you did that. However, if the law believes that what you did can be reviewed after a minimum of a, minimum of two years. Mm. It wasn't up there with with you being one of the most dangerous offenders mm. or it wasn't up there mm. where you it was a like a completely like a heinous act that you had committed. Mm. So the fact that you were given a life sentence for something that could have been reviewed after two years. Um, and all under this whole IPP, guys. So the fact that this, came, this thing came in um, into being in 2005, even though it was enacted in 2003, abolished 2012. So we're talking about nine years ago. And there's still people languishing in mm. general now yeah. under this whole IPP. What I don't understand, and help us understand, mm. what then happens to those people who then reviews and looks at because if people if this thing was done away with in so the last person that could have been in jail under IPPs would have been 2012. Mm -hmm. We're now in the year 2021.
2: Yeah do you know I think it's important probably you know for me to pay homage as well because while IPPs are going through what they've gone through the other thing to mention is that I mean and it's really bizarre that you have a blog Guilty by association. One of the things that we've got here is this um, joint enterprise, um, and there are a number of people under joint enterprise who weren't necessarily, you know, privy to somebody else committing an offence, but just happened to be in the locality at the time who are still languishing in prison, just because they were there, not because they actually, you know, did any physical act um, or you know any any deliberate. Uh, what was it? They call it the mens rea. Um, you know, the kind of mental uh, mindset to go and commit an offence. Um, and there's also guys as well that are under two-strike life um, legislation, which predates IPP. So it's it's kind of like the whole, I mean, I don't even know if it's a real thing in America, the whole three strikes and you're out kind of thing. But two-strike life is effectively that. It's where you may have committed an offence that is paralleling. Uh, and then if you commit another offence that is, you know, paralleling to that, then two-strike and you're out um so there are guys that have been in in, in prison like IPP for the last you know 15-20 years under um two-strike um, legislation but the other thing i wanted to say as well is a couple of things one i'm not kind of um here or any of the places that i've been before now kind of saying oh boohoo you know Crimea river because i'm hard done by i'm not i'm not doing that for a second what i'm trying to say about IPP is one you know that there are people in, um, don't get me wrong I know there are some people um, whose cases are going to be um, unfortunately um, so straightforward that you know they're there because they need to be there.
1: Mm. And, However, and, and yeah. again to your point because um, and I never once took it that you were you know the cold crime your river thing because mm. you've always said look I made some, I did some stupid things I mm-hmm. knew that um, what I did was going to end up in a custodial sentence, but it's a thing. W- and yes, we do know that you do have some people just like, okay, how about you do this? You lift up the gel, you put them on, then you put the gel back down. We yeah. we we know that too. So, but this isn't even about that, though, is it? You mm-hmm. and. And the reality is, and not, not here, just here in the US, not just there in the UK, but pretty much the world over, are there not people literally languishing in prisons, in jails, for something that you're looking at you're just like, why are you still here? Why did you get life for this? Why did you get a prison sentence in double digits for, for, for this, when you've got people that arguably, as you've said, have done worse things and they're out now living La Vida Loca. Like,
3: well, yeah, yeah.
2: And you know what I think this is the thing and I, I keep saying this everywhere I go is that my whole thing is that for a prison to be of any use, you have to come out better than when you went in. And what I don't what I mean by that is I don't mean, you know, you, you, you kind of go in and you come out and you're rehabilitated. What I mean by that is that if you've gone in and you've had an addiction problem or you're street homeless or you know, you've been so unfortunate that rather than the system treating your situation as a mental health or public health Mm. um situation to find a cure for uh well i don't know if cure is maybe the right word but the point i'm making is that some things are not just about criminal justice and unfortunately what prison does is it treats everything as a criminal justice issue and there's no real i'll give you a very very easy simple um uh kind of analogy that um i was talking to somebody about only last night actually and that is that um there are lots of people in prison who don't even have a bank account never mind you know um kind of job or somewhere to live and that kind of thing and there was an occasion um i won't tell you what i did but um where i was told no you can't apply for a bank account because you can only do that in your last three months and i'm like well how am i supposed to do that because in theory i never have a last three months because i'm indeterminate Mm. I have a bank account now I won't you know and I went about it entirely appropriately but it just struck me as really odd that rather than finding you know the reasons why people in in the system seem to find the reasons why not and I just think that's unfortunate and I get why some of them do it because I remember a governor saying to me I'm reluctant to sign off you know home leave and I said why he said because my mortgage depends on it and I just thought well you're in the wrong job because People in here need to get on with their lives. And if you have somebody in an open prison, the chances are they're there because the system believes they can be trusted enough for them to be there. Yeah. Uh, And the chances are if they haven't absconded within a very, you know, uh, uh, small window of of, of arriving within the first two or three weeks, the chances are they're going to go by the rules and they're going to do as they're being told because they can leave at any time. Uh, and, and very often people do. But one of the other things for me is that I I just have this uh, desire, not a flight of fancy but a desire to be the first, uh, well, the first ex-offender to govern the prison. Um, Interesting. I would like to go and govern the prison. And the reason I want to do that is because I think that I could do things slightly differently from the lived experience that I have.
3: Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: it wouldn't be a free-for-all but at the same time i would do things in a way that the outcomes could be better for people because i think that the, there are solutions that can be found to dealing with individuals problems uh, in 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 a sense that means that when they leave prison it's like one of the things that really does make me puzzled
3: mm-hmm. in
2: england when you leave prison you're given a discharge grant of 46 pounds. I don't know what they expect you to spend that on because, you know, you could spend that quite easily. Um, you know, the, the whole idea, believe it or not, is that you could put it towards accommodation. Well, guess hold, what?
1: sorry, wait, hold on. I'm sorry. Hold on. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> sorry, sorry. And I'm not even trying to make light of this, but you said you're given 46 pounds. Yes. You're supposed to put that towards accommodation. So if we equate that, so you're on leave. You're when you're leaving, you're given forty eight pounds. So you're given probably about seventy five dollars. Forty eight pounds, about seventy five dollars, roughly, give or take. Mm-hmm. And yeah. you're supposed to put that towards accommodation for how long? Because I don't know many places I could get one night for that much, much less for any length or period of time. Yeah, and I place. thought I could eat more than that in one meal. Don't, don't, yeah. don't look at the size. Don't judge the sizes. Believe me, I can, I can put it away, but I could eat way more. I could eat more than that in one meal. So I'm not, I'm, I, I, bought,
3: oh, okay. Fifty six
2: pounds But the thing is, um, I mean, the only place I know that you could probably get, um, somewhere for more than a couple of nights is maybe a YMCA, that kind of um, mm-hmm. establishment where you pay maybe 10 pounds or something for um, a couple of nights. Um, but, you know, not everyone's gonna think of that and not everyone else, not everyone else uh, is, is going everyone, to, be to get, Not even think of that,
1: not everybody even knows that.
2: Well, this is the point, I was just gonna, I was gonna say exactly that, you know, not everyone will know that. Uh, I, I stumbled across it because, um, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit resourceful like that. But um, the, what I was gonna say about the the money is that, If you uh, have the misfortune or fortune, depending on the way you look at it, of being incarcerated in Scotland, you'll get over 100, I think, 110 pounds on your discharge. Now, I may have this wrong, and I hope that, you know, I'll stand to be corrected, but Scotland, as a devolved authority, operates its finances through indirectly westminster so the money comes from england to scotland so what is it that scotland is doing that allows them to give prisoners leaving prison more than double those leaving prison from england how is that how does that work i don't i don't get it um i mean i'm not saying that you know 110 pounds you know you know 50 60 quid more is gonna improve it's it, it's it, yeah, it's not it's However. However, I mean, how is, how is it possible? It just, it strikes me as really odd. And that is for those kind of reasons that I'd really love to have the opportunity, even if it was just for a year or even six months to govern the prison, to see if um, at the end of that period, you know, the people in that prison, um, because this is, this is how it's measured, isn't it? Um, they're able to measure, once you've got a prison number and you're released, um, uh, that there are these scales on um, this kind of system, I forget what it's called now, uh, that predicts uh, the likelihood or the you know the, the possibility of reoffending in one year, two years, three years, and so on. And so you're able to judge a prison because you know the, the individuals who get out of there, if they stay out of trouble for X number of time, then you can come to a conclusion about how effective you know, the regime and the, the, the governance and the um, the opportunities have been, you know, the resettlement uh, opportunities have been. Um, so I'd really love that opportunity, and I keep putting that stuff out there, I keep putting it on things like LinkedIn, people share it and reshare it, and and I keep talking about it, because I really do think that, um, the only way, I had this discussion actually, with um, a a man called Raphael Rowe, who is a really fantastic uh, individual, uh, a talented journalist, who himself was actually imprisoned in 1988, for a crime he didn't commit, he spent 12 years in prison, but, he upskilled, um, became a journalist and ended up working in the prestigious role at the BBC for a number of years and is now um, doing a, a Netflix series called um, uh, World's Toughest Prisons. He's a fantastic individual, um, got nothing but, you know, uh, admiration and respect for the man. <clears throat> but he, you know, he kindly invited me on to talk about some of the issues we're now talking about. And, uh, you know, I, I think I said to him, like, not necessarily in the actual Um, discussion but in the pre-discussion that I I would really love the opportunity to do it not just because you know it's kind of stripes or or kind of look at me kind of thing because I really do want to create a change because I just I feel that the only way the system can change is if people with those lived experiences uh, go in and change them
3: yeah and
1: they get more involved because especially if you are that person that is um on the receiving end of sorry what did you say his name was rafael roe
2: rafael roe yeah
1: Raphael roe if you're that person if you're if you're one of the rafael rose of the world where you didn't commit the mm. crime mm. didn't commit it it's proven that you didn't commit it but still spent 12 years of your life um mm. incarcerated in prison and there's been a couple of instances over here i think it was it was something like America's Got Talent. I think it was. I watched either um, early, some point last year or the year before, where a man was incarcerated. I think it was something like thirty-seven years. I think I know this
2: case.
3: And yeah. then
1: it turned out he didn't even commit the crime. Mm. Thirty-seven years. That, that no. that's a that's a long, long time to insane. be in prison for something you didn't even do. So. Yeah. So to your point, so if you're that gentleman or a Raphael Rowe and Mm. you are falsely imprisoned Mm. and it turns out that you didn't commit that crime, Mm. who better to get involved in doing what he's doing or like yourself doing what you're doing to see, to to make a change? Because the truth of the matter is, Mm. and this is one thing that I have always struggled with, where you see and okay it can be sensationalized and dramatized for television yes we know this where you see these police officers and detectives and um law enforcement officials so gung-ho after a person to pin Mm. something on them and my in my head i'm thinking but that means the person that actually committed the crime is out there still free to do it again and again again." Mm. and again So how about you put all of that energy in getting the right person? And that's some of the things, that's, that's something to be honest, I've always struggled with, right? How are you so emphatic and passionate to get Mm. this person um, locked away, but you're actually okay then? Because in my head, I'm thinking you are actually okay with the real offender being out there doing it over and over again, Mm. then you're actually Mm. okay with that. Because you're not Mm. looking for that person.
2: Do you know, one of the people I love who I came across, I'm ashamed to say only quite recently, was a guy called Brian Stevenson, who is a lawyer in your neck of the woods in the US. And he talks about the fact that, um, I don't remember how he put it, but basically what he was getting at was that uh, the people that are locked up are very locked up because of the, you know, the absence of, of money. So effectively, you could be locked up uh, and be innocent and poor uh, is what he was getting at, uh, mm. rather than being guilty and rich. Um, and that's such a shame, you know, it really is such a shame. Um, and I mean, I don't know what all the answers are, but one of the things that I did get frustrated with was being in an open prison, being allowed, so one of the things about IPP, just oh. going back to that for a second, was um, that, it's measured on what they say is dangerousness so they they say that you know if you're you're a danger to the public or in some way a threat to life and limb life and limb test which i think it, again is quite speculative and um and kind of unhelpful because it's, it's what one person thinks and um uh while i was in the open prison just to come back to the point i was allowed to go out and work in a well-known um, advice charity um giving advice and assistance to members of the public and i was just like well this isn't working for me. In my head, I'm thinking you're trying to detain me on the basis that you're saying I'm dangerous, but you're allowing me to go out on community service and help members of the public. So how am I dangerous? You know, the the, the two just don't go together. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was unfortunate that you know I had a a, a few occasions where I <laughs> I um, had disagreements, shall we say, with people in authority, and then I was made out to be anti-authoritarian and, uh, and anti-authority. Um, uh, and I'm not, you know, I, I think that there is a place for authority. I just don't like people who abuse it. <laughs> mm. Um, and I, I remember once, um, an individual, um, during, you know, the early part of my sentence saying she, this day, she wrote on my file that I was being manipulative. And I said, you know, the problem I have with that is that if people say, you know, people like yourself say that I'm manipulative, I think it's because you, I won't let you have your way with me. Um, and she didn't like that. But then it came out um, I mean, I'm not going to name the individual because I don't think that's appropriate, but it came out that she was self harming um, and later lost her job. And I'm just like, hang on a minute. So somebody who's self harming, who's got more issues, is looking after me with mine. How? <laughs> How is that allowed to happen? Um, and then it, and it, to add insult to injury, I left that prison and went to another prison. And there was another individual who was very similar to that person who was escorted from the premises of the prison and had her keys removed from her. Nobody was told why. And I'm just like, see, but this is the problem. There are reports and things being written by people who are really damaged because somebody somewhere hasn't checked these people out. And mm. they're then trying to deal with people who are themselves by definition in the, the fact that they found themselves in custody possibly broken and, and possibly even bitter how you know it, it's just not not right and it's just kind of a never-ending really 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 vicious cycle um that really needs to change because otherwise you know things just are going to get worse and when we see events like that have happened closer to, to you than to me Um, you know it gets more worrying because you just think well where's that going
1: yeah absolutely absolutely and it's you you know you've saying that about those two individuals and 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 if you think about it millions of people incarcerated and those are only two that you know about who's to say how many more and and I'm not casting aspersions on people that work in the prison system and I'm not saying all of them have mental health issues I'm not saying that by any means Mm -hmm. however there are some people, as they, as in every position, um, as in every profession, that really are just not fit for purpose, are they though? Mm.
3: Yeah.
1: And it's and it's really surprising. So I'm not surprised that someone like yourself. And sorry, you. And again, going back to the uh, the man's name, did you say something Stevenson?
2: Brian Stevenson. Brian
1: Stevenson. I had Dennis in my head for some reason. But um, going back to what you were saying about Brian Stevenson, it's just like, you know, I'm not surprised that you do have people that are looking at the system and knowing that these systems are inherently they are flawed because going back to what you were saying and um, looking at it. So again, from the research that I was doing into IPPs, so it. The Act was um, in place in 2003. Mm. It was, the Act was actually then enforced in 2005. The whole thing was then, for want of a better expression, scrapped in 2012, right? Yeah. Yeah. However, in 2007, the Queen's Bench Division of the High Court ruled that the continued incarceration of prisoners serving IPPs after their tariff or sentence expires, where the prisons lack the facilities and sources and courses required mm. to assess their suitability for release mm. was unlawful. So yes, that yes. was ruled in 2007, that mm. actually IPPs are actually unlawful.
3: Yes. to
1: hold. So, so in your case where you could have been up for, you know, no, not could have, in your case where you were up for review after two years, mm. didn't get reviewed after five,
3: Mm, that's, yeah. that's
1: correct in your case right so yes, according, correct, yes. according to the queen's bench that's actually unlawful,
3: that is
2: unlawful. Well, it, get, it gets even more it gets worse because i remember at the time somebody saying to me do you know that because you're you're supposed to be reviewed after two years and you weren't reviewed for three years after that
3: mm-hmm. you're
2: entitled to damages now when i went to try and seek these damages in order to try and make life in prison easier because prison isn't free i mean I, I think people need to understand that i mean i get the the american version is uh, commissary i mean it's called, uh and here they call it canteen where you can buy you know your goods and things mm-hmm. but you know buying those goods on your prison earnings is not always practical. So you rely on whatever other income you've got, whether it's family, friends, partner, whatever it is sending you money in. Now, um, what was the point I was gonna make? (laughs) The point I was gonna make was that, so it's not free, you know, you have to do this stuff. Um, But when I went to these guys and said to them, look, um, I want some damages because, you know, you haven't heard my case, it's three years later. They was like, oh no, it's too late. You should have applied back at this point and I'm just like, what? Um, and I really got upset because I just thought, now imagine if I went to, I don't know, imagine if my my rent was due and I say, well, actually, no, you should have claimed it on that day. Um, i get evicted <laughs> um, because it doesn't work that way. But for some reason, and this is why I say, you know, about people who make rules but then have to cheat, you know? If you're making the rules, you shouldn't need to do stuff like that. Um, but the thing is nobody kind of gets a neon sign and points to this. And says, look, you know what, you're entitled to these damages, you know? Look but
1: that, on, but come on, Andrew, come on. Because if you look at it another way, right? Mm. So because you say people that make the rules, they don't have to cheat. And I'm thinking in their head, are they looking at it as cheating or are they looking at it as a fine print that we, none of us ever read one, right? Because it's there. You just have to go digging and searching to find the information because they're not going to make it easily accessible for you for one are they you know if you you really think about it so in their minds is that cheating or is it a case of the information's there you just didn't see it one and secondly going back to um what you were saying about the neon sign that these things are available if you look at it another way
3: Mm. by
1: you being able to claim damages You are just another person able to, because the fact that you have a case for damages, you're just another person just on top of, in a number of letting them know that actually this didn't work and I'm entitled to this. So they don't, because none of them really, nobody actually wants to admit that something that they put in place was stupid to to really simplify it, but it didn't work it wasn't it wasn't lawful, it, so basically you know and another, I like the way they say unlawful. another word for unlawful is illegal come on
3: yes. yeah, <laughs> yeah. the state
1: of state. it's illegal, so therefore they're not going to make it easy for you to increase the numbers of people that highlights that what they did was wrong
2: and here's the thing you see so in my mind and I, 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 I've been told that and i don't know how true it is, but there are government departments, especially the ones that deal with uh kind of damages and stuff that have a kind of a not a zero tolerance but kind of a a a blanket approach that they defend all claims and you know i can get that because at the end of the day if people are going to make frivolous kind of claims then you know that it would never end but one of the things somebody said to me um not too long ago they said to me you know why should anybody care you know why should anybody kind of you know deal with these damages and whatever and I said well I can give you 10.6 billion reasons why because that's the figure that it costs this country uh in reoffending. now if people were gainfully employed uh and not kind of being drawn to the county lines and selling drugs or or kind of going out and stabbing one another and all that kind of stuff maybe that you know there would be an opportunity for us as a collective to ameliorate the violence and and the kind of the criminality that goes on Mm-hmm. Uh, in in you know in the communities up and down the country, uh, a fantastic example really is that one of the things that happens when it comes to maybe say a black person who loses their life at the hands of another black person, they call it black on black crime. But no one was calling it white on white crime in Scotland when people were stabbing each other because there aren't many black people in Scotland yet.
1: Ireland for that Scotland, Huh? Or Ireland, for
2: that matter. What? Or Ireland, for that matter. You know, but in Scotland they had an epidemic of, of uh, drug and um, uh, uh, and knife crime up uh-huh. until maybe you know three or four years ago. They they openly uh, admit that, and they've had people from London come up there to help them with their problem, which I find is like, ironic, since we've still got a problem. In <laughs> right. um, yeah. You know, it's kind of yeah. like the blind
1: leading the blind, or the you know the the sick yeah. tending to the sick. But okay.
2: But yeah. So uh, I don't know. I mean. I just think that it's, um, there's a long way to go. And and none of this stuff will really change in my lifetime, which is sad. Um, I know that's a bit pessimistic, but oh it, won't. it won't because um, I mean, I've been prior to prison, you know, I did some, what I thought was quite positive work um, and even won an award for one of the things that I did. But the point I'm making is that you know i was having some of the conversations we're now having
3: mm-hmm. back
2: then you know back in 1992 93 uh and not a lot has changed sadly don't get me wrong there's some fantastic work being done and i've met some people you know it, over here there's a thing called proud and gifted um a guy called Stephen oran which um, celebrates the achievements of young people which i think is incredible i think it's a really good organization um i can't praise him highly enough either but there's People like Temi and Wale, fantastic young woman from uh, North London, who's doing anti-knife crime work. Who unfortunately lost a friend of hers to, um, uh, you know, knife um, uh, violence on the street. But has, uh, you know, gone on to do a law degree and and set up an organisation. Got people working gainfully employed in that organisation. That stuff needs to be celebrated. That's the kind of stuff that we need to be doing. And I think that you know having these organisations not just out here siloed doing stuff in their own in- Individual areas but also doing stuff in prisons so that when those people because this, this is the thing if we let people go to prison who are bitter then they're only going to get more bitter and if that bitterness then comes out back out into the streets then oh. guess what happens you know yeah. nothing changes if nothing changes
1: <laughs> and so let me ask you then is um, because honestly I've some of the things I've looked into where IPPs are concerned because I've even gone on the parliament.uk website and mm-hmm. um, gotten information from there and saying that, um, the, the, cause you know, they're always going to try and justify the reason behind why they did what they did. Right. And mm-hmm. it was saying that, you know, the pretent- the preventative IPPs is the prevention of future harm and offending by incarceration. So, and it's just like, okay. And then there's something interesting that I read. So so offending by incarceration rather than punitive imprisonment triggered by an actual offence. Something can hold on a second. So it's the prevention of future harm and offending by incarceration triggered by something that could, may not even be an actual offence committed.
2: Well, this is the thing because one right, of
3: the things
1: is that... Sorry, sorry, Andrew, because I'm looking at it. I'm just like, hold on. It's like the prevention of future harm and offending by incarceration rather than imprisonment triggered by an actual offence.
2: Well, so this is why I mentioned, you know, I made the little mention earlier on of the Minority Report. So there's this film Minority Report where the cop goes into the future to prevent crimes that are going to happen in the future. Yeah, so,
1: like the um, Tom Cruise uh, movie, right?
2: Correct, yeah. Uh-huh. So... um. Uh, one of the things, uh, I can't remember who it was, but somebody described the IPP basically as not uh, an sentence for the crimes that people have committed, but the crimes that they may commit. <laughs> yeah,
1: and that, and that's where I really struggle because when I was looking at it and to, when you first look, if you don't dig deeper into these things and if you don't really, because you know what it's like, I think they can just blow smoke and just put something up there. People can look at the surface and think, okay, but because we were having this conversation, I wanted to look deeper into what IPPs are, even though it's no longer, it's, uh, IP people cannot, can no longer be incarcerated under IPPs. But when I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, it's just like, hold on. So if they think you may commit a crime, they can put you in prison under IPP, or no, not they could, let me rephrase that. If they think or suspect that you hmm. could potentially be um, commit a crime at some point, mm. they could then incarcerate you indefinitely Absolutely. under IPPs when you have not even committed a crime, they just suspect you could.
2: Correct, yeah,
1: spot on. Okay, I just awesome. wanted to make sure I got that out there and got yeah. that straight, plain, and clear. And that's the thing, right. isn't it? When I read that, I'm talking. I've got it. Green highlighted, bold red text on. Uh, look at, I'm just like, wait, what? Do
2: you know? This is the funny thing is, I keep saying that, don't I? The funny thing is not funny, but the the thing is, is you saying that it 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 highlights in my mind as it always has done anyway. That just because I'm out of prison, it doesn't mean I'm out of prison because. Mm the spectre of IPP is always there because what the rules say at the moment is that you can't apply to have your license and um, supervision lifted until you've been out in the community for 10 years apparently. I mean it used to be four years and suddenly they've hiked it up to 10 years. I'm not sure why that's happened um, because I was always of of the view from the reading that I had done that it was four years if you were a violent offender and I think it was 10 years if you were a sex offender because you needed to be more closely supervised um and i had a conversation with probation officials recently who said look they're going to look into it a bit more because they're not actually sure they that you know they need to get some clarity um and this is the thing is that there's always this kind of uh endless cycle of uh uh being in no man's land because you just have no idea the only thing that you do know is that if you find yourself in dubious circumstances, whether they're of your making or not, then you face the potential to be recalled to custody. And that's a frightening uh, thought, particularly in a time when, you know, we're in the middle of lockdown, we've got COVID going on and and people dying, uh, you know, all over the place Mm -hmm. uh, of whatever that, you know, they're dying of, whether it's COVID or something else, whatever the case may be. Um, This isn't a time, I mean, there's no right time to be in prison, but this certainly isn't it. Because at the moment, you know, there are people who are on lockdown in prison, never mind lockdown in the community, they're on lockdown in prison. So they're behind their door literally 23 and a half hours a day, um, you know, being uh, fed by way of um, some kind of. I'm I'm not even clear actually, even though I work for an organization that looks into um, certain things in in, in custody, but I I would imagine some kind of controlled unlock where people come out and get food or either, you know, or individuals deliver the food and, and give it to them through through the door but you know there are people that, that can't get a shower never mind a phone call um <clears throat> because it's that serious you know the, the stuff that's going on so what i mean i say that to say what on earth is happening in terms of resettlement or parole or you know progression and you know people again i come back to that whole you know people that potentially not all of them but might have been bitter when they went in what are they going to be feeling now
1: And it's not just the bitterness as well. Can you imagine what, can you map this basic um, mathematical equation? Bitterness plus this experience, what in the world will that equal when it comes to their mental health?
2: Yeah, yeah. And yeah, I mean, it's troubling. It really is troubling. I mean, I think, I I heard a story while I was in prison from a... um, guy called Rod. Rod was um, a uh, uh, Church of England minister and he was telling us a story about some of his colleagues in somewhere in Africa, I can't remember exactly where unfortunately, but the story was a fantastic story and this story was basically that an innocence project had gone to a woman's prison, worked Mm -hmm. on all of the cases of the women in the prison uh, and they were all so successful that they emptied the prison. Uh, they entered the prison and they mothballed it because there was no more prisoners in that particular prison. And I remember saying to Rod in a conversation afterwards, wouldn't it be, uh, you know, fantastic if rather than in this country finding more money to, you know, kind of build prison places, if we were in a position where we could mothball prisons, especially the ones that are so dilapidated that, Mm. you know, you wouldn't wouldn't house your dog in them, never mind a, a human being. Wouldn't it be fantastic if we could... You know, use the resources so that we could make sure that people who are in prison are going to come out much better than when they went in, in in better situations and circumstances, somewhere to live, somewhere to call home, Mm. uh, a job to go to, or an you know an income that means that they're not having to go out and commit petty crime or or even violent crime, Um, and you know relationships that can thrive because their stability is is. Well, stable. <laughs> you know, I mean wouldn't that be a celebration? But for some reason I don't see that everybody's on that page.
1: Because and if you think about it, it's if we if we um put another industry um like in like if we put them side by side isn't that the same thing with the like if we look at um, isn't that what they've always said about for example cancer they don't want to find a cure for cancer because a lot of people would be out of you know they wouldn't be earning the millions and the big bucks that they're earning there's no money in it there's no money mm. in people not being offenders there's no money in mm. people it, in there not being any jails because you and I have both heard of the school to prison pipeline. We've yeah. got, we've we've all heard of the 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 organizations and the industries and the governments that put big money into building these prisons because there's money in it. And yeah. and and I don't want to sound c- um, cynical or pessimistic, but if the reality of it is this, how can we mothball a prison when we have people like the gentleman that spoke to you that didn't want to sign the paper because by signing it, because by signing it, it mm. poss- potentially will take away from him being able to pay his mortgage. There's other people that think that way. It, by, by us If we moth bore prisons, then what's going to be the return on my investment? And as sad as that is to say, mm. is that not the actual reality, though?
2: Here's the reality. And it's funny because I remember saying to a prison governor, you know, uh, he really didn't like me for saying this. I said, you know what? I think the best thing they could do is close open prisons. And he said, why? He said, they'll never do it. Um, he said, firstly, they'll never do it because it's too cheap to run. Um, that, was his, that was his exact words. He said, they're too, too cheap to run. And uh, he says, uh, what was it? Um, they'll never do it because it's too cheap to run. And I forget what he said, but it was a very cocky answer. I remember that much. And I just said to him, well, the problem is, is that they don't achieve what they're set up to achieve. And I've i to be honest, I'll be, you know, I'll be completely uh, upfront because I wasn't getting anywhere. I wasn't making any progress. I didn't manage to achieve the things I spoke about at the top of the, you know, the discussion when I spoke to you about the driving license, the education and the, the job. I just felt a little bit bitter, let's be honest. Um, so I just felt like, but the thing is, I wasn't the only one because other people that I was talking to were in similar Position. And I'm just thinking, well, surely, you know, I'm being told by a, a body that my job and this is the parole board and this was in black and white is to go to open prison and build a release plan to get accommodation, a job and so on and so forth. And I'm thinking, but if I'm being disempowered to achieve that, then what is the point of being here? But moreover, if, bearing in mind, I've explained, you know, that that B-cats and C-cats and what have you prisons that are closed you don't really have much. If I could go to a BCAT prison and be close to home and go on home leave, why would I go to an open prison in the countryside that cost me, you know, several pounds to travel up and down by train, cost me, you know, money. Because the thing is, when you leave an open prison, you're liable to feed yourself because the prison doesn't feed you. And mm. I mean, at the end of the day, everyone who has a job feeds themselves. So, you know, it makes sense, I get that. But um, I, I'm just like, well, look, would I uh, be in a nice um, kind of countryside uh, idyllic you know, idyllic um, location in an open prison uh, but feel like I'm achieving nothing? Or would I rough it in a local cat where I could walk home effectively um, uh, 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 on home leave and then come back again and suffer a month until the next home leave? Yeah, of course I'm going to do the latter and not the former because it makes no sense to me to be spending money that I already don't have yeah uh, in order to build up to wow you know the grand sum uh princely sum of 46 pounds on release
1: <laughs> i'm still struggling with that number andrew seriously like wow because honestly like i said I could, I could eat more than that in one sitting like,
3: mm-hmm. seriously.
2: you know during my time in open prison i have to pick them up you know there was a a charity um called the um michael and shirley hunt charitable trust and i know nothing because i could never find anything about them but this trust um i wrote to them in the hope that they would help me and one of the things that they do for people is um they will help you with the cost of i think one uh day trip or you know kind of one way uh, sorry a two-way trip to uh, your, your your place of home or you know wherever it is you're you're, you're going to from an open prison once per month and you know what these people helped me faithfully for about two years
3: oh wow
2: so every uh, every month they sent me a check which went into my prison account and i would then take the cash out of the account because obviously the, the, the check had to clear after you know in prison terms it takes about five or six weeks for a check to go into your account and physically clear i'm not sure why but um you know so if i had say i don't know Forty pounds in the account. I would then use the cash. The cheque would go in and clear, and I would then send them their receipt and, um, okay. um, you know, for, for the for the travel just to prove that I have done what I've said I'm so to do. They free. were holding you
1: accountable, so you had to send them. Okay. Yeah,
2: absolutely. but they were fantastic. I found them in a book, um, which uh, I told you I was resourceful. Uh, I was in a in the prison library, and I looked in this book, and it said that there were certain grants you could get for you know clothing or travel or this or that. Very few people noticed the book or the charity and then i wrote to them they asked the prison Look, is this guy who he says he is is it true and the prison confirmed it and you know faithfully they helped me for over two years
1: yeah that's um, really great at least at least um there are some people that are willing to help with the whole rehabilitation and so that you can come back and be a productive member of society because yeah. they obviously realize that all hope is not lost for everyone once they mm. get um, a prison sentence. So let me ask you: with ev- all of this going on, and your aspirations of being a um, the prison governor one day, because I, I listening to you, Andrew, I believe you've set your mind to it, and um, it's only a matter of time before it actually does happen for mm. you. Um, is that why? you started with your friend um, Charles um, taking the initiative party, a political party, because you know, I mean, very few people, if you think about it, think, okay, this man puts his hand up to say, yes, I committed a crime and I knew that it was going to be a custodial sentence. Obviously didn't know how long that was going to be. You've come out, you now are a civil servant. And if you can quickly just explain what a civil servant is,
2: so a civil servant is basically somebody who works in government. So you work in a government department, whether that's kind of... I don't think that local government necessarily class them as civil servants, but they are effectively civil servants. But certainly if you work in any government department from, you know, Ministry of Defence, Ministry of Justice, any of the ministries, you're classed as a civil servant.
3: Okay, um, so you,
1: again, put your hands up, committed this offence, done your time. <laughs> You come out. You now work for the government. Mm. You now you want to be a, a prison governor, and you've started a political party with with a friend. You're not you're not in and and, and there's a charitable trust that you say that yeah. you you're a part of. I didn't know that before. You mentioned it. Um. So so is. Is it because of the experience and the road that you've walked down and the things that you want to do and bring a change? Is that why you started the Take and the Initiative Party? Tell us why you started that.
2: Um, do you know what? I just, I felt, and I know that Charles and, and some of the others felt that we wanted to just do something. We really were looking to create effectively like a think tank type of organisation. But one of the things about, um, you know, kind of local governance is that um the the groups that are the most marginalized are the ones that don't have a seat at the table they're not heard and so you know when i talk about you know people working in isolation and being siloed it's this kind of sense of well you know what is our stake in this stuff because it's all very well you know talking to somebody about claiming benefit but if you've never claimed benefit and you don't know the ramifications of claiming benefit then where's you know where's your lived experience i'm not saying that you know you have to have lived experience to be able to do any job because actually that might not be necessarily appropriate uh, mm-hmm. in some um, cases but um uh, i think the desire was to just create some kind of change you know to create a, a platform for people to Um, you know get involved in in local uh, politics because this this is the reality is no matter what we do there's politics at the end of it you know people say oh I don't want to get involved in politics but guess what you know prisoners that are released from prison uh, are released with the 46 pounds that we've talked about somebody in politics has made that decision Mm -hmm. you know so and I remember having a conversation with somebody about the fact that um, uh, you know when when you're in prison there are certain uh, things that you can have and certain things you can't and it comes down to politics because somebody somewhere is making a decision about what is appropriate and what is not Mm -hmm. uh, and making up you know various rules it's politics you know everything involves politics i think the question for me was just that i wanted to get involved um kind of you know breathe some life into it which which we've managed to do but as i say you know I've, i've moved away from it now because it wouldn't be appropriate um to to be you know actively involved um But I just, I really did want to just see some change and um, I'm still yet to see it because at the moment, you know, there are people uh, really working hard on campaigns to encourage people to register to vote, encouraging people to get involved, you know, on a local level. Simple things like one of the things about the UK, which um, is, I find really incredible for one of the six, you know, richest economies is that people are struggling on food bank, um, food aid. Uh, And one of the things that the trust has been able to do is get heavily involved and uh, uh, taking the initiative actually in helping people on a local level, not for political gain, but helping people practically to access, you know, really basic necessities.
1: Yeah, exactly, basic human needs like food. And if we look at the Maslow's-
2: Hierarchy of needs. Right, Right.
1: exactly. (laughs) Food is up there.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And um, I just, you know, this, uh, I think, without, you know, kind of over-egging it, I mean, these are frightening times for some people, um, because- Sorry, know, sorry,
1: what did you say without over-what? What in it?
2: Over-egging it.
1: But they, I don't now, think, so, I'm like, sorry, the reason that I said that, I did hear what you said, but the hmm. reason why I wanted to stop you is because with the times that we're living in, Andrew, I don't know if it is over-egging it. And the reason I say that, I was saying this to my mother this morning, <laughs> there were these vitamins and I bought them last month for $6.49. six, $6. 49. I went mm. to buy some this morning and it was it'd gone up to $17. You're not, <laughs> no, because you know why? Because you're not finding things. Mm. Things are becoming more and more scarce. And and the reason that I, I said that is because the more expensive things become is mm. the more um, people are not going to be able to afford it. Or let me put it another way. The more expensive things become is the less people are going to be able to afford it. Now that's, that was only um, vitamins. And this particular vitamin, yes, I could do without it. You mm. could get that source from other things and other foods. It's just a supplement. But mm. what happens when, like you were saying, people are struggling at food banks. I um, a pastor that I know in New York. He was talking about some of the, um, the the food banks that he has seen. And he says, you want to see some of the expensive cars that you're seeing now in these food banks. You're seeing Mercedes, you're seeing Bentleys in mm. these food banks. So mm. it's mm. not a case of you're over-egging it. Mm. People are struggling to provide for their very basic needs, Jimmy. Oh, yeah.
2: I just, I suppose for me, I just like to uh draw lines for myself because what i don't want to do is kind of scare people um because you know i mean at one point you know we had conversations at the, at the beginning of, of you know the pandemic where people were saying, "Oh, no that's no, fine because it dies in the heat and i was thinking well, where's that come from and now look it's like it goes, well, so,
1: but that goes back to all those whatsapp messages we were talking about in the beginning yeah. people sending you all kinds of foolishness who told you it died in the heat
3: well yeah exactly
1: if it died in the heat why so many people in florida why are the numbers in florida so high if it dies in the heat like hello and
2: this is it and i suppose this is why i just like to be careful what i say because you know in my head i've kind of um tried to rule out a dystopian society coming because of this stuff because you talk about the costs of of things, and I remember there was uh, again in the first lockdowns. I think we've had three effective lockdowns in in the UK now. But during the first lockdown in sort of March, um, there was a video that went viral uh, of a of a um, convenience store selling toilet rolls for ten pounds. Um, and I was just like, what? Ten pounds for toilet rolls? Really? Um, because people are capitalising on that stuff. But the other thing is that there was an image that came to me of this um, movie. I, I live through movies. I'm afraid, but. Um, there's a movie, uh, Demolition Man, an old Wesley Snipes movie with oh, Bone, yeah.
3: uh-huh.
2: and you've got these people that are underclass, living underground because they don't want to be part of the kind of the, the weird societies happening above ground because they don't believe in some of the. know the stuff that's kind of going on so they're 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 eating rats and stuff you know they're they're, they're cooking rats uh yeah let's not go there but uh they're cooking rats underground
3: right (laughs) but
2: all
1: of those listening to the audio and not watching this on youtube the (laughs) face is why he
3: said that
2: (laughs) there's a bit in the there's the bit in the movie um because you know the the picture your face was a picture then but there's a bit in the movie where sylvester sultan has this burger underground with these people and um uh, he says yeah it's a good burger what's in that and uh and um sandra bullock's character says well can you see any you know can you see any cows around here <laughs> so you know in other words and he's like oh it's a rat burger but he just he eats it anyway because he's just used to the meat but um point being that you know um there was at the beginning of this first lockdown people who were convincing people that certain things were gonna happen and I mean whether or not those things are gonna happen I don't know because I'm not kind of privy to those conversations and I don't listen to everything that I see on social media or indeed on the news mm-hmm. you know, but if some people uh, I mean I don't know it, it's it's a hard one because I really hope that some of the things that people are uh, prophesying are not gonna happen because um, if they do then I think it's the end of the world as we know it um, you know it really is and, uh maybe you know we're gonna start talking about the book of Revelation and stuff um, i started it, 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 talking
1: about that a long time ago Andrew if I'm going to be very honest with you because um, there's a lot of because I think in reading the book of revelations and sorry to interrupt you there um people are looking and expecting this big Armageddon all of a sudden and not realizing some of the subtleties that come in before that for example it says towards the end times it says things like men will be lovers of themselves all we got to do is hello the word selfie didn't exist. Mm-hmm. What I may I'm gonna go as far as saying even five years ago. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You see what I mean? But look at this whole men will be lovers of themselves, children will be disobedient to parents. There's so many other things that mm. kind of subtly dripped into place mm. that we may not have realized that things things are changing and things are getting grim and things are looking like the book of Revelation. I think it's mm-hmm. just because people think people are only looking at the book of revelation like the and it, again if we look at it it says there will be wars rumors of wars yeah. diverse um, earthquakes in diverse places mm. has, has that not been going on for a good few years but again i just think because everybody's under the mind that all of this is going to happen at once yeah. they have really stopped to pay attention that actually it's the path and along the path there's one thing then another then another and i to, so to be honest i started looking at that I've probably mum again it's something my mother and i were talking about a few weeks ago i started looking at that back in i think 2015.
2: yeah and you know what's funny because i'm sure there's a bit in there isn't there that na- nation will rise up against nation exactly that's exactly in america's true. case it will rise up within nations but there you, you've got like 50 Little nations anyway,
1: 50, exactly. 50. that's why it's called the United States. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow, yeah, no, it's, yeah, it's a good point,
1: it's a good point. So, uh, so I just think that to your point about um, life as we know it, I, to be honest, I think with the pandemic and with everything that happens, not just the pandemic, things change and I've said this many times. If we look at, for example, if we take 9-11, prime really example, Travelling yes. never went back to how it was pre-9-11. Yeah.
2: That's
1: so a certain times things in life and in the, the world happened. Now, if you think about it again, 9-11 only happened in the US, but it affected the entire world in how security is done travelling. Right? Mm. Don't you think? Yeah,
3: absolutely. The entire
1: world were affected when, it, when 9-11 was just solely here in the US. But yet, everybody's got to go through that hole. You've got to have your lug, dig up your luggage, take off your shoes, take off your hat, mm-hmm. and all of that. You didn't have that pre 9 11. So, traveling never went back to how it was. And I think, in some respects, life post pandemic mm. may not go no. back to how it was.
3: Mm.
2: No, I think, you know what? I think you're right. And I think what was interesting, I mean, there was a time briefly where I was in a a, a probation hostel when I was first released. And um, I happened to be released at a time just before, you know, the pandemic hit. And I was still going through and from work from this hostel. And um, there were times when I didn't see anybody because, you know, everyone was just staying at home. And. I had to go to work because at the time we, you know, um, I had to go and get my laptop and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. And uh, I was doing another job side by side as well, to boost mm-hmm. my income a little bit. And <clears throat> there was nobody out, but then all of a sudden there was this sense of um, real vitriol between people because it was mm-hmm. like, why aren't you wearing a mask? You could read it in people's faces. Um, you know, why aren't you wearing a mask and all this kind of stuff. And, and, and it was almost like a, a, a kind of, it, this is going to sound really nuts, but it was almost like a form of racism. Um, it was like-
1: Discrimination, at... form of discrimination.
2: Well, I, I want to say that, but the reason I say a form of racism was because um, when, they, when there was this kind of sense of, well, it's affecting uh, Afro-Caribbean people more than any okay, other group, okay.
3: yeah, yeah, people yeah.
2: looking at us with more suspicion. So, I mean, I remember walking down they the street- already do. <laughs> well, this yeah. is the point I'm making. But there was, there was one day when I'm walking down the street and I'm wearing a mask and it was really funny because there was two people, there was a couple. Uh, and as they came past me, they viewed me with suspicion. They did a wide berth and I'm thinking, hang on, I should be more concerned about you. You're not wearing a mask. <laughs> and I only at the time, I'll be honest, I wore a mask just for the sake of an easy life so that people weren't gonna, because I'm exempt. I'm actually exempt, I don't need to wear a mask. Um, but on occasions, I've been wearing it because I'm just like, you know what, it's probably easier. To, to just wear one, then uh, have no one. issues, then people start causing nonsense, and I get into a problem because I'm going to start quoting law, and you know, because you know, uh, there were people viewing me with suspicion when I'm going into shops and stuff, um, and I'm like, well, hang on a minute, are you gonna, are you now actually? Uh, let me list to you the amount of laws you're now going to break, mm. uh, you know, and I don't want to get into all that sort of stuff. I just want my, I just want my groceries. <laughs> That's sure. all I want.
1: Honestly, I, I know that feeling because it's, um, I remember. And I, I digress slightly. Um, when this all first started happening, and we went into the supermarket, and we didn't notice there were arrows on the ground, so one aisle going up and one aisle coming down. So and so, my mother and I, we went into one aisle. We went up one aisle. We st- no, we started to go up one aisle that had the down arrow. And this way, the way this man looked like he was about to turn on my mother, I had to look at him real hard. Mm-hmm. But let's, the first and foremost, that's my mother right there.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: So secondly, whatever you were going to say,
3: mm-hmm.
1: think about it very carefully.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And,
1: I, he, he, and even though, admittedly, he only saw from the eyes up, there was enough there for him. Mm-hmm. To, that he, re, you, I could see him stop, kind of lean back. And then he pointed at the arrow on the floor. And then I looked and I'm like, and then I just says, oh, you know what? I didn't even see it. Because mm. honestly, I did, we didn't see it because um, we hadn't been in the supermarkets. To so know supermarkets were starting to do that one aisle, one up, down thing. So we weren't looking at the floor. We were looking at the shelves.
3: Mm-hmm. No, so, no, and
1: so, so by me saying to him, I didn't see it. And yeah. you could see him kind of take that breath. But I thought, oh, no, 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 not today over an arrow on the floor. No, 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 no that's not you know, what we're
2: not going to do is that no it's funny just just hearing this conversation and notwithstanding the fact that you're married i'd have been scared to ask for your number
1: <laughs> I'm not married anymore
2: <laughs> yeah i would have been like five seven five five would you say five two five two two five would have been like yes. oh yeah oh well, yeah of course it is <laughs>
1: no, like i was saying earlier in the conversation the initial wasn't that if i got honestly if a guy came up to me and asked me for my number unless i looked at him thinking what took you so long kind of thing Mm -hmm. but for the most part it would have been like uh thank you that's really sweet of you but and i and um no i'm i no i'm not going to give you my number and i would have i said you know i'm in a relationship or i'm married or something i just don't Mm -hmm. think it's appropriate that we do that so that's how the initial conversation would have been but like i said andrew you see when they like i said like when they're needing dough and they just and they just won't let it drop, yeah. and, and I just like, but I said no, and I was actually really nice in how I said the no, but the fact is now you're going to get the other no. <laughs> you're about to get the whole other no that I don't think you are ready for. Because hmm. there's been times when, um, i never forget this, I was, you know Shepherd's Bush has two stations? Yes. And I was at the um, the one on Uxbridge Road, the Metropolitan. Metropolitan, No, it's now called the Hammersmith and City Line. Back then, it was still called the Metropolitan Line. I'm aging myself, right?
2: Call it Hammersmith and something else line these days, but anyway. Oh, is it?
1: Uh, Let's uh, behave yourself. But uh, (laughs) so I was. I remember I was walking up the stairs, and I think there was like three guys. They, you know, those racks where you can. chain your bike your bicycle Mm -hmm. to they were Mm -hmm. leaning up against that and one of them the way he was calling to me and i just had a doctor's appointment i was now on my way to work and the way this man was calling to me and i'm like not Satan, not today i'm busy i've got things on my mind i'm gonna be going and and because i didn't answer him the way the man spoke to me andrew or like, and and you know, to this day, I still remember exactly everything that I was wearing. So, and how long? That's how much this sticks in my mind. I remember my friends say that I do this thing where I spin on my heels. So, mm. and I was halfway up the stairs, and I spun on my heels, walked down the stairs, looked mm. the man in his face, and I said to him, "Speak to me the way that you would like someone to speak to your daughter, your sister, your wife, your mother, your auntie, or your cousin." and I turned round or as they say I spun on my heels Mm. and I started to walk away and you know what he said to me he says you know something sis you're right I'm sorry good morning Okay. and I turned my head and I said good morning to you have a nice day and I carried on up the stairs and I went to work but I was so just like what gives you the right to literally accost me because mm-hmm. i've chosen that i it's like seriously like <laughs> seriously so the initial would always be a polite but when you just start to no, it's like no mm-mm. Mm. and i just think it's really like a mindset like why do we talk to each other that way you don't mm. know me from a kind of pain you don't know what i've got going on in my life you know nothing about me you don't know if i've just heard some really bad news and I'm completely distracted or Mm. I've got things going on and I really don't want to talk or like I said, I'm married.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: I'm married. So so I'm I'm so because I know there's times when before I was married that um somebody asked me for my number and I says I've got a boyfriend and somebody said what's that got to do with me? I never asked for your boyfriend's number.
2: (laughs) No I've got that gotta be honest, that sounds like something I would have said 20 years ago. But
1: well, I'm thinking to myself, but what kind of woman do you take me for? Yeah.
3: Because
1: again, that what are you saying about me?
3: Yeah. And I yeah. say
1: that to some guy. This is, you see, you see, back in the day when the pfft was a thing to oh, do. Oh, Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah.
1: And I thought, what kind of woman do you think I am that's gonna respond to a pfft like you're cleaning something out your teeth. If there's something in your teeth, go get some floss. Do something. Listen, <laughs> I got these these little floss sticks. Would you like one? If there's something, hell, like, but that's not the way to address me because guess what? P S S S T is not on my birth certificate. Yeah, yeah. Excuse me or yeah. something like that's a polite way to get that. But you know, so so. You know, so anyway, sorry, we digress. I completely went off into one there. Because you took me back to to a place, Andrew. You took me somewhere.
3: (laughs) I
2: need need to send you um, uh, something I did. I did a video. I was talking to this uh, psychotherapist uh, about this very stuff. And one of the things I talk about is the old (laughs) P-S-S-S-T.
3: Um, okay. you know, like
1: amazing. what is that and, and and having lived a couple of years in Jamaica As well so you know you've got the man He's got the hand on his chin
3: yeah. One
1: hand on his chin One hand's either underneath the elbow of that one Across his chest or the other one's like Adjusting himself and then he's doing the I'm like what about that's attractive Like hello What about that is attractive or endearing Like really Like really
3: yeah. <laughs> You yeah, know
1: So, yeah, so trust me, believe me, I have seen it. And so, no, so, so, so no, please, nobody, I mean, by all means, as long as I'm single, please do not be afraid to ask me for my number by any (laughs) means. I am not that bad, honestly, honestly, I, honestly, she says, I am not that bad. But just don't do the whole thing like you're, like you're working and you're needing for, you're needing dough because that's when you're going to get the other nut.
2: When when you work, you're working, you're kneading
3: dough.
1: Yeah, you know, like they're, they're <laughs> needing, they're kneading you at work. And I was like, go away. I said, no, leave me alone. And, the, you know, the sad part about that is I think some of us miss out on really great friendships. Mm. Because I'd like to think I'm a good friend. Yeah. But you see, you approach me a certain way because not every time you exchange numbers, it's going to turn into a romantic relationship or whatever, but it could turn into a really beautiful friendship. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I think because of the method being used, we some people could miss out on just having a really great friendship because you've chosen to make me feel like you're accosting me now.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting. Anyway. I mean, Sorry? I just- yeah, I was just thinking about because um, I mean, somebody was saying to me really recently. They said to me, "It's the age of Aquarius," and I was like, "I don't know what that means." And they said to me that you know women are on the rise, and I'm like, "Yeah, well, fine, great." I mean, I'm you know I'm all for for that. Um, you know, I have no issue with that. I'm kind to be scaffolding in that in that kind of analogy. Um, <clears throat> and um, funnily enough, you know, I found it's really weird that. Since I've been home, uh, some of the people that I've been vibes in with, if that's the word, or, or kind of uh, having conversations with, have largely been with mean, Don't get me wrong, I have a lot of kind of male friends. I mean, I've got a couple that I've known for, you know, 25 plus years who are, you know, still uh, staunch advocates of me as an individual. Uh, and then there are a few people that come into my life who uh, have been a real blessing. I mean, there's one actually that I met around the time that i started that job that i told you about earlier on where i went and in front of the free people and i was convinced i had the job that lady and i we've been friends for well since then and that's 20 about 22 years ago mm. uh, and during you know recent times when i was ill she sent her daughter with with food uh, and you know soup and, and uh non-alcoholic mulled wine for me because i don't drink um i gave up drinking and um, drugs and smoking and all that kind of stuff uh, nearly 15 years ago oh. um, and yeah so I was really um, taken aback by that it was really nice but again you know so it's a, uh, you know, cause sometimes people have this conversation about you know can a guy and a, and a woman just be friends
3: absolutely
1: uh, they can yeah,
2: I, I agree I agree I mean I've got a really good friend that I've known since we were 16 and uh, for some reason everyone's convinced that we've had a romantic encounter we never have we mm. never have don't get me wrong her kids think it, it it should happen but you know i'm never gonna go there because you know we've just been good friends
1: and i don't want to ruin that mm. and and you know to your point as well though because i remember that um again i mentioned this earlier that i have come across and cross paths with people who have eventually um gone to prison And I've visited them and I know people kind of gave me the side eye like, why would you do that? And I said, and I've said um, that if you were somebody to me before you went in, I'm not just going to turn my back on you. Now, obviously that depends on what the person did. Mm. Because yep. I do have limits and whatever. But there are, for, for the most part, I have kept in touch with them. I've written to them, visited them when, and when I could and things like that. Because I don't believe that because a person has done something, and again, depends on what they did, I'm just now going to turn my back on you. They're going to mm. throw you in jail, throw away the key, and you're just going to be in there rotting without any interaction. Because I would like to think that the friendship that I could offer that person may also help them when they come out so that they can be functioning members of society so that yes they've gone in they paid for whatever crime that they committed some may not have but falsely um, convicted and falsely accused but it doesn't mean that you have to turn your back on people and so that shows in the case of the friends that you have and still have, because again, going back to what you've done, you've been out what a year and a month, Andrew. And mm-hmm. in that year and a month, you have a job in the government, you mm-hmm. have helped found a political party, you are a trustee of a charitable organization, and you have aspirations to go back to study, you have aspirations of becoming a prison, um, war, a prison. Uh, what's Governor. The Governor, thank you um, because you want to affect change you want to be a change so it just goes to show that yes people do go to prison yes people do stupid things we all do stupid things but it's one of those things where it doesn't mean all hope is lost and it doesn't mean that they can't then come out because to be honest Andrew what you've achieved and done in, in, in the space of a year a lot of people haven't done that in 10 and those and these are some people that have never been to prison, by the way, they've always had their liberty. So, you know, it's one of those things where I really, really commend you for the path that you are on and where you want to go and what you're doing. And those people that are in your life that have stuck um, with you through, come on, thick and thick. <laughs> Mm, yeah. That's a testament to the character of those people also. And if you think about it, that woman Sally, I think you said her name yeah, is that yeah. saw you and saw something in you and said good luck. Again, it's we see things in people like um in the last book I wrote, I um the last book I wrote, um pack your luggage but leave your baggage. I wrote that there's a there's a portion in there that I was right I wrote about um, Superman and Clark Kent Mm. and I remember my ex-husband was taking jabs at me now bearing in mind he cheated he met somebody else he left right but he Mm. was taking jabs at me and I remember he put on social media that he put a post that said she was so busy looking for Superman she walked past Clark Kent every day And I was in my feelings when I read that. I felt attacked. I'm not even gonna lie. I felt mm-hmm. attacked like, like. and, but once, cause I'm a person, I don't stay in my feelings for long. Mm. So once I got out of all of my feelings, because I'm also that kind of person that can be in my feelings and find a few more to try and be in as well. Mm. So once I got out of all the feelings and right. I looked, and I looked at it and I thought, hold on a second though. I was fully aware of Clark Kent, fully Mm -hmm. aware of who Clark Kent is, but you know what? I saw Superman in there and all I wanted you to do was see Superman too. That's all I wanted for you. I wanted you to see what you could do. I wanted you to see who you could be. I wanted you to see what you can achieve and the things that you could really accomplish, the goals that you could set and accomplish them. I saw that in you and I just wanted you to see that too. Mm. But the fact that you were content to keep living under the whole you're just content being Clark Kent and you didn't want to at least try and see the Superman in you, then Mm. you wanted to turn around and put that on me. And I say all of that to say a lot of those people, Sally, obviously, without even knowing you saw the Superman, Andrew.
3: Mm.
1: It just really took for you to go through... The experiences that you have gone through to now to really not just see the Superman in you, but believe the Superman in you. Mm-hmm. You probably, to be honest, some of the addiction that you may have gotten into, you the Superman in you scared mm-hmm. Clark Kent. A Clark Kent went to other things.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: yeah. And I don't even know you like that, Andrew, but I just feel that that the su- mm-hmm. Superman scared Clark Kent, so Clark Kent just tried to kill him, mm. <laughs> the drugs was the kryptonite and all of those things. And then what ended up leading to, cause I don't know the full details of your incarceration and we're not going to go into that here. So, do so you see what I mean? So a lot of the time people are their people's potential scares them. Mm. Yeah. So what they do is drugs and um, alcohol, crime, whatever, to try Mm. and drown out those voices. But the beauty of you, Andrew, is that you kind of reckon, and I'm not saying that the Superman still doesn't scare you because the Superman, the Superwoman within all of us and Mm. the potential that we can achieve is scary. Mm. However, you're not allowing it to stop you. And those Mm. people that have stuck with you, Andrew, that's all they saw. They were just waiting Mm. for you to see it too.
2: I like that.
1: You have now.
2: I like that. (laughs) Yeah, look, Ken. <laughs> <laughs>
3: no, I like that.
1: Right yeah. there, you go. Right.
3: <laughs> I really love that.
1: So, yeah, and that, and that's really all it is. And um, I'm just going to end this by Andrew saying that I don't know you like that, but I'm proud of you really really am and it is it is one of those things where it's so encouraging and heartwarming that I know you said you don't believe you will see the change in your lifetime but you may not see all of it but I really hope that you see some at least at least Mm. to make that start because if you've already done this a year out of um, after a year of being out of prison Mm. then I believe that if you keep on this kind of momentum Andrew you may well see the changes that you hope to implement in your lifetime. And it just grows and grows and becomes a better machine from here on in.
2: That's encouraging. I mean, I work at it, you know. Um, I think, you know, one of the things a really good friend of mine said, uh, he said to me, um, one of the things you need to do in this time is learn who to count on and who to count out. And I think that was really valuable advice. So I've begun. You know, I, I saw this um, during <laughs> during lockdown. Um, there was this um, post that said, "You can't just cut people off," um, and it said, "Snip, snip, snip, snippity, snip, snip," or something like that. So in other words, you know what? Forget all that. Um, yeah, you can. And and I've started to kind of, you know, go into that uh, phase again of you know realizing who. You know who I'm there for who's there for me and, and just working on that because that kind of harmony in in life really just it it just creates a life worth living you know mm. when you're doing the stuff that you enjoy doing but you're not being drained by you know the stuff that we talked about at the beginning you know the, the whatsapps the the people that get emotionally uh, distraught because you haven't looked at the video that you sent them that has been going around virally for about six months prior to them getting it. Um, you know, that kind of way Sometimes
1: there. A couple of years before they sent it, because I'm like, yeah. hold on, they the thinking, they're still going around.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's encouraging. And yeah, like I, like I say, you know, I just, I do what I can with what I've got where I am. Mm. Um, you know, I haven't got very much at the moment. But, you know, I'm doing what I can, and, um, and I'm just going to keep doing
1: that. And that is all you can do. Because really, if you think about it, Andrew, it has only been a year and a month since yeah, you please. have been released from prison. So mm-hmm. you're, you're not going to have it all yet. But that's mm-hmm. the joy and the beauty of the journey of life, though, isn't it? That you're, you're going and you're growing along the way. And back to your point about um, Friends, I have um, I remember back in the 90s, I think it was, I bought this album by, I think his name is Eric Gable and it's called Process of Elimination. And I've always looked at life, even though it's like, like 90s R&B, but the title of that really struck me because that's what life is and that's what relationships are. Some of them really are a process of elimination because I firmly believe um whether or not you've been in prison or not your phone book should not look the same today as it did 10 years ago there should be addition and there should be subtraction simple basic mathematics yeah yeah and that is really evolving in life so and as i said i firmly believe andrew whatever you set your heart mind and hands to do i believe you will achieve it
3: Mm.
1: i fully believe you will achieve
2: Good, because the next thing is to start writing.
1: <laughs> and we are going to get into that. We are definitely, and I haven't forgotten, I haven't forgotten, but I knew you were you hadn't been well, so I just wanted to give you that time to get better. But yeah. as for the podcast, Andrew, I'm going to thank you so much for joining me here on Conversations with Alison J. Jay, The Journey to Here. It has been a pleasure. It has been enlightening.
2: Oh, no, bless you. Thank you so for much for having- joining me. Thank
1: you. All righty. Thank you. Take care. Bye
0: okay. okay. oh, bye. Bye. Thank you for spending time with us. We're already looking forward to the next episode of This is Conversations with Allison J. The Journey to Here. Until next time, honor, respect, and blessings to you all. If you want to connect, visit allisonj.net. That's alisonjay enet Allison with one L, as she is the one and only